Episode 266 is now underway. Hotshot Scott is back after a week with the Gras. No, I was not with the Gras for a week, <laughs> but I was in uh, San Diego, California. You know what I meant. That was awesome. I was with the Gras for a week. Yes, you were. You were in San Diego, California. Who got the better of that draw? <laughs> not seeing a cloud for four days? How does that sound? I got the Gras. <laughs> yeah. You got the coast. Yeah, I sure did. How was it down in San Diego? I don't want to be overly dramatic when I say it. It might have been the most fun I've had on one of Piper's sports trips ever. It was just, everything was awesome. Well, San Diego's the best place in the country, That's right? That's probably That's why. what everybody tells me. Have you been? Well, Phil Mickelson always told me yeah. that San Diego <laughs> is the best place to live in the country. It's the best climate in the oh, country. He might not be wrong. It's pretty awesome. And we flew out of Payne Field. Have you done that? Oh, no, I've yet? never done that. No. Oh. Well, I did it once, but it didn't count. So easy. Oh, yeah. It wasn't like an. Yeah. It, so. <laughs> but for the peasants who fly. Yes. You know, with like actual airlines. Yes. It's pretty easy. And it's pretty You've awesome. You've done this before. You've talked about this before. Have yeah. you not? Um, I dropped my wife off there once oh, and yeah. it was easy. But yeah. it's no one in security. No one at the gate. I mean, just forget. It's just everything was awesome. And I used that new app we talked about before I left, too. That oh, Airbnb for no, cars. Oh, no. You talked to me off the air about that. Yes, I did. All right. Explain. Oh. Before you explain, before you explain, <laughs> yeah, I feel like I should get this out of the way first okay, sorry. because people are going to notice. I don't know if you notice that I sound a little different today. Do I sound a little different today? A tad. Okay. It sounds like you've been yelling, like your, your voice well, is off a little bit. Okay. Then I, I guess I don't need to do the disclaimer that I, I apologize for the way I sound on this episode 266. I got blindsided by a truck called the flu. Really? On Thursday night. And I was in bed. Ugh. Shivering, sweating, shivering, uh, sweating for 48 hours. Awful. It was awful. I'm pounding NyQuil. Yeah. Ibuprofen. Any My kidneys are not real happy with me at the time. Any Z-Pack or any medicine? Or do you just like fight through it? I am just it? trying to get through it. I'm trying to drink as much fluid as yeah. I can. I'm, I'm, I'm just, as I said, the NyQuil. I'm trying. I can't sleep at night. I can't sleep during the day. I can hardly look at my phone. I can't watch television. So I was literally bedridden Wow! Friday and Saturday. And then I'll just end the story with this divine intervention. Okay. On Saturday night at eight o'clock, I don't know what happened, but it was like 48 hours later. It's 8 p.m. Pacific time on Saturday night. All of a sudden, I start to feel better just in time for Gonzaga and the University <laughs> of Washington. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. On my television screen. Yeah, that's right. And over the next two hours, I felt like a thousand bucks. <laughs> a thousand. <laughs> a million bucks. Yeah, wow. Watching the weasel Unreal. walk off that floor with a loss. I, I had forgotten that I even had the flu, for God's sakes. Nice. It was the greatest feeling. I was like, okay, maybe if you offered me, this is a true story. Okay. If you offered me that result, and I'm not even that big of a Washington fan. I'm a Syracuse fan. But if you offered me that result and that picture, and I put it on my, I put it on my Twitter oh, of him walking off the floor yeah. with everybody celebrating behind him. Yeah, yeah. If you offered me that, but I had to have the flu for 48 hours. <laughs> yeah, on Wednesday, I, I would have that. accepted it. <laughs> it was pretty awesome. Oh, no, no way he saw that coming, right? I, mean, I was like 106 temperature, and I'm like, yeah, bring it on. If right. this is what I get, if this is my payback, so I'll take it. it. All right, now go back. It was amazing. San Diego. I mean, it was just, yeah. so, so we fly in out of Payne Field, and then I use a, an app called Turo. Yeah. I'm not doing I it. I had never heard of that until you were walking out of yeah. the last 
episode two weeks ago before the Gras came. So I threw it on Twitter because I thought about using it. I work what with, is it? with young people who like make fun of me because I get rental cars and shit like that. You know, things old people do. So why? People don't rent cars? <laughs> Not when you're 27, I guess. I don't know. They all really? use this shit. So. All right. So it's essentially Airbnb for cars. Now, you know what Airbnb is, I assume. I don't use Airbnb. Yeah. This is a long-standing uh, conversation. Silverware or something. No, uh, I no, I no. Yeah. No. Because one family uses it a week as opposed to a okay, restaurant. Okay, do we have to go 400 there? 400 people use it a day, yes. So I don't really know how Airbnb works. I've never used an Airbnb, but okay. I am I am somewhat familiar with the, the whole setup. Like you could rent your house out on Airbnb for a weekend and somebody could pay you to come stay here for a weekend. Do I stay in the house? You do not, no. They, do I they, have to leave the house? Correct, yes. Yeah. Yeah, so th this is Airbnb for cars. Okay. Which and is it's kind called of Turo? T-U-R-O, yes. Okay. Pretty awesome. But I was skeptical. I threw it on Twitter, and I got 100% positive feedback. People are like, this is amazing. It's changed my life. You got to use it. Uh, so in like, lieu of a rental car service, yes. you're actually renting a car from some Joe Schmo That's in right. San Diego, California. Yep. That's right. And, and you, mm. you go online, you pick the car you want. I don't think that's for me. I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, I don't think that's I didn't me. think so either. I was very Although nervous. Although the rental cars these days are shit. And the shuttle. Has anybody and, noticed oh. that? The rental cars have become shitty over the years. The one okay, we had in North ahead, Carolina was awful. It was really? like a tin can. I was like, who, who buys this? Well, yeah, yeah. Okay, so you know, go ahead. Plus, the older you get, you know, you, it's tough to go backwards. I mean, you might like your car that you drive now. You should. Yes. You don't want to go drive some piece of shit for four days, right? So pick exactly what you want on the website. And I got exactly what I wanted because he's got one car. I mean, it's not, you know, when you enterprise, you pick your car, then you show up like, well, we don't have that one, but we have, the, you know, it's never yeah, the one you yeah. want. The bait and switch. There's a shuttle that you have a big oh, line. Oh, oh, don't get me started. That's the line for the, there's another line when you actually get there. I think That's my awful. wife's least favorite thing about traveling is when we take the uh, the shuttle bus from the airport terminal to the rental car oh. office. And I say to her, now, hun, I'm going to race out when it, I want to be the first guy. <laughs> you got to be. And, and she's got to bring all the luggage yeah, in. Yeah, off yeah. Of, you're going to have to take care of the luggage because I have to box everybody out yeah. because I got to be the first person in line. Awful, I right? don't think she enjoys that part of the, the traveling process. It's so ahead. bad. Yeah. So bad. So okay. I have to send him a picture of my driver's license. You just do fill out some stuff online. Really? And then he sends me a full pickup instructions the next day. Hey, the car's parked at this park. It's like a little harbor in San Diego. It's a 10 minute, really? 10 minute walk from the airport. It was, he was right. Oh, 10 minute walk. And there's, oh. there's like this private, not private. It's like this public park where there's just a bunch of cars and there's a lock box on it with a code. And you just undo the lock box, get the key and you go. It was a 10 minute walk. That was it from the airport. But I don't want a 10 minute walk when I get someplace. Oh, you like shuttles. You'd rather walk 10 minutes. No, to I don't the want a shuttle either, but I don't know that I want it to. I thought you told me when you were walking out here two weeks ago that they're going to bring the car right up to the curb. Like it's going to the guy's going to fly right up to you the curb. You ask me if it's you're, coming. To you're you're going to pick it <laughs> yeah. and then he's going to get out of the car. You're going to get in the yeah. car, drive away, and he's going to be left stranded with no place to go. Like in Dukes of Hazzard, I just I don't even open the door. I just jump in the window. And I go. don't know. That's what I thought the process yeah. was. So he, so he parked it across the street from the airport. Easy. Totally easy. But 10 minute walk. Yeah, it was a 10 minute walk, okay. which was I know, know San Diego excruciating. Airport, yeah. So so maybe, you know, then there's there's like this little harbor marina. Oh, it's funny that you mentioned this. Yeah. Can I just give you an a weird, yes. random aside? Yeah. The you last bought heroin in that parking lot. No, this oh. is better. This is better. Okay. This is sports related. Right. You're going to actually think I'm lying. Okay. <laughs> but it just dawned on me. I just had like an epiphany. 
either the last time or the time before that, that I went to San Diego Mm -hmm. and rented a car and got into one of the shuttles to go to the car office, Mm -hmm. the rental office. I was in the shuttle with Kurt Warner, the running back, not the quarterback. Penn State, yeah, sure. The great former Seattle. And he's looking at me. And I'm looking at him, <laughs> yeah. and I think he he may have recognized me, but I certainly recognized him. Yeah. I think he was in the car dealership business at the time. Oh, maybe, yeah, yeah. Maybe he wasn't. Maybe it's post that. But I, the last, and this was in San Diego. Weird. Now, now if I went through Turo, yeah. I would have never had the exchange. Never. I would have never had the, the bump in, the run in. Yeah. With the great Kurt Warner. That's right. And I watched him kind of limp off. And I was like, oh, he's still, the knee is still probably yeah. not 100%. That was a heartbreaker for a uh, 10-year-old me. I'm sure. After his rookie year. Boy, like, was he a galloping ghost or not? 1,300 yards as a rookie or something yeah. like that. And yeah. then, yeah. Anyway, so we grabbed the Jeep. Yeah. It was, you get, it's exactly what we wanted. It was clean. It was awesome. Right. And you just take it and go. There's no signing. You already do all your stuff online. Okay. There's no How nothing. Much? Uh, I think it was 55 a day. And so that competes favorably with whatever you would have done at the okay yeah how did what about scratches damage it's already I, I am one of these guys yeah that when I rent a car I am eternally concerned uh-huh. that I'm going to return the car and they're going to try to ding me for something that was on the car before I. The, I'm the guy who goes around and we search the car. You should take a video now with your kit, with your phone. That's what, you know, if you're worried oh, about know. it. I don't know how it works, but yeah. Your phone? You just well, take- no, I know how that works, okay. but, <laughs> but anyway, so what about that process? What about if there's something on the car, there's a little bit of paint missing over there on the fender? What do you do then? Well, you can sign up for insurance through them, through No, through we don't Turo. need insurance because it's already on the fender. So how do you know it's not going to get the guy's not going to get the car back? And oh, say, I see what you're oh, saying. Oh, hotshot. Oh, he's not going to call you. Hot he shot. might actually. Scott I Soden, told him to, yeah. you got something here on the fender when it was already there before you picked it up. See, here's where I think we have a little leverage because you can leave reviews like on Uber. Okay. That kind of thing. You know, okay. people who get good reviews, okay. that sort of thing. <laughs> yes. Lyft. So I think if he was trying to ding me for something, then I could leave a review. Hey, I didn't, I didn't hit anything. I didn't do anything. I'm telling you, it was slick. It was so There seems slick. to be some some loopholes. You enjoy that w- standing for the shuttle in Arizona in 108 degree weather. I'm worried about the loopholes. <laughs> you enjoy those shuttles. I'm out forever. It was so awesome. And it was the exact car. I mean, it's the one you see online. It's got the big lift kit. So and how did tires. you return it right back to the exact same the same spot. 10 minute you had to take the same <laughs> oh, 10 yeah. minute walk? The grueling 10 minute walk. So it ends yes. up being 20 minutes of a walk? That's true. Yeah, I know. But no shuttles, no standing there at the counter, none of that horse shit. It all sounds really good on podcasts. And like I see, it looks good in the paper, looks good in writing, yeah. sounds good on podcast. But I'm worried. That I was too. I might try it. I was it. too. And seeing dads in crappy minivans and shitty Toyota Corollas that they didn't really want, I'm yeah. like, ha ha, well, I got a sweet ass Wrangler with a lift kit. I suppose for gas reasons, rental cars have become so expensive. Fifty-five a day. I think it was like two forty-seven or something for the whole time, and that's the other thing. Like, the rental cars will say forty-nine dollars a day. You're like, I'm in. Then you go to pay. It's like eight hundred bucks. Like, <laughs> what happened to the forty? The fees and the tat and all this shit. Like, forget it. And you just fill the gas uh, up full, and you're on your way, man. Mitch Unfiltered awesome. episode two sixty-six is available everywhere, ladies and gentlemen. Subscribe on any podcast platform. By the way, are we getting paid by Turo for? Oh, we that? should. 
I know. But for the last five minutes, Piper's uh, old 12U coach texted me on the side because he saw my tweet and said, not only is Turo awesome, I've used it over eight times. I actually bought a convertible BMW that I got on Turo because I loved it so much. So be careful. You might. What do you mean he got on Turo? He rented a convertible BMW because he always wanted to try one. Yeah. Then oh, he, and then he ended up going to he buy it. He's like, just be careful. You might end up falling in love with the car oh, that I you th- get. I thought he said, like, he, didn't, he never returned <laughs> never the car. He just. <laughs> That's yeah. the thing, though. Like, I, I mean, I don't be snobby, but I, I don't. I'm, I love my car. Like, I don't want to go backwards for four days in some town Would driving OJ a piece of Simpson car. Would ever do this? No way. No, he's, he's true to his brand. There's no way. You should try it. I'm telling you, you should try it. I'm sure there'll come a time where I'll go looking for a rental car. It'll be so expensive, and I'll be like, you know what? I'm going to give Turo a try. Give it a try. And the guy was insanely communicative. I mean, anytime I send him a message. Can you please send the founder of Turo the previous eight minutes of this show of episode 266? I'm calling him. And tell him he's getting an invoice. No kidding. To pay it immediately, a Mitch Unfiltered invoice. Subscribe on any podcast platform, Apple, Spotify, Google, listen and rate us, review us, hopefully five stars. It really helps. If you like more regular, shorter shows, we do those too for the patrons. MitchUnfiltered.com. Become a Mitch Unfiltered patron. $5 a month gets you our many shows each week. We've got the Peace Show with Danny O'Neill. We've got Shooting the Shit with Slick. We've got Around the NFL with Randy Mueller. We've got the Seahawks No Table. And as seasons change... Our shows obviously change. I owe you a beat the boys week 15. And by the way, we've got to update our uh, our wager, the standings between you and me. Don't we have a wager? We have a I little wager. Know, do we? Oh, yeah. oh, we did when you were leading. Oh, we did. Oh, oh, we did when you we were leading. We didn't make it when we were both tied 0-0? Oh, yeah. We made it before it started. <laughs> right, yeah. So it wasn't was when I was leading. something about doing music shows <laughs> and that I would have to do a music show about your artists that you pick. What kind of a payoff is that for me, though? I never thought that it was a good payoff. Oh, but now that you're losing, I hear you. I hear you. That's back some payoff. I get to hear Barry Manilow. That's Beat great. Beat the Boys presented by Fireside Home Solutions. Uh, week 15 is coming up. The three games that we ask you to pick, the Texans and Titans, the Cowboys and Bills, the Ravens and Jaguars, and the password, well, it can only be one, one thing. Go on. The Weasel. Gotcha. T-H-E-W-E-A-S-E-L, all one word, all lowercase, to commemorate that brilliant Gonzaga performance at Heckhead on Saturday night. Guests on this episode, 266, if I can make it, if I can make it through. The Mariners no table. We got to talk about those Mariners. This feels honestly, just by social media standards, worse than I've seen it. And I, I don't know how long fans are like, I, I can't, yeah. I'm oh, not yeah. going to a game. They like, want I'm new out. renditions of sell the maybe. Yeah. Right. I mean, like it's coming it. a new, if it oh. weren't for the flu, God. there might be a new rendition of sell the maybe on this show, but the flu got in the way. You can blame the flu for that. I mean, it's not opening day tomorrow. So calm down everybody. No, not we'll, yet, let's but see what they do. But as we record no, this, it's bad. It's bad. It's bad. bad. Like fans are like, I, there's no way I'm giving them a, a penny. I'm not. It's I'm, bad. I, I, people are saying our, it's bad. We'll talk about it in, in segment one, oh, how bad it is. Bad. Especially our, when you compare it to like the Los Angeles Dodgers. Mm, yeah. Must be nice, huh? They're the number two. Well, we'll get into it. I, I, uh, how bad is it? Jason Churchill, Joe Doyle, the Mariners no table, a special offseason free agent Mariners no table. Is there any chance of salvaging it? Because the offseason's not over. Jason and Joe will answer those questions. The Seahawks no table after the 
the loss to the 49ers that we all expected. Brady and Brian on the 49er game. The Eagles are next. And you might remember the name Kevin Tyson. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. He's been on the show twice before. He had a book two or three years ago called When It Mattered Most. It was the story of the 1917 Seattle Metropolitans, which became yeah, the first right. American team to win the Stanley Cup. Do you remember that? Yep, totally. Yep. His edition two came out three years later this past week, which includes six new chapters, including the 1919 finals, which I think is even a better story than 1917. Now, 1917, I don't want to be a spoiler here, but 1917. It's been 100 years. It's been 100 years. Yeah, I can we'll say we'll survive. 1917, they won. They became the first American team to win the Stanley Cup. They beat the Montreal Canadiens. They were incredible underdogs, and they won that series. And that was the, first, that was the book originally. Then in 1918, everybody goes off to war. Mm. Then in 1919, everybody comes back and they get the team together again that won it in 17. Yeah. Same coach. In fact, the coach in 1918 went down and coached Portland. He even coached Seattle in 1918 after they won it in 17. He comes back to coach 19. Crazy. He gets all his guys back from war in 19. And they make it to the Stanley Cup Finals again. Unreal. And they face the Montreal Canadiens again. Oh, wow. And guess who won? I'll give you two guesses, and I'll bet you <laughs> you won't be able to get it right. Guess who won the 1919 Stanley Cup Finals between the Montreal Canadiens and the Seattle Metropolitans? And you get two guesses. Wow. Yes. The Metropolitans. That would be incorrect. The Canadiens. That would be incorrect. Wow. There was no Stanley Cup after a 2-2 and 1 split. Everybody got the Spanish flu. Guys were dying, oh, dying geez. on the Montreal Canadiens. They called off the series. Unbelievable story. And so that's what the six chapters are about. Wow. When it mattered most. Kevin Tyson is, uh, is guest number three. But there's no starting episode 266 hotshot before we mention our partners like Daniel's Broiler for the holidays. There's not much better. And you really should consider the original location in Leshai because it just opened after a major facelift. It's our next stop on the Levy Tour for sure. Daniel's Broiler. You got to love Daniel's Broiler. World-class steakhouses for the holidays. Evergreen Golf Call. Tax advisors, certified financial planners, and experienced portfolio managers working together to bring retirement planning, taxes, and investments under one roof. EvergreenGK.com. More than just a financial advisor. Evergreen is everything wealth. Zeke's Pizza. Football season winding down at Zeke's. Specials every football game day at all Zeke's locations. Now Thursdays, Sundays, and Mondays. $10 off of all orders of $40 or more at all Zeke's locations by using the code PIGSKIN10. P-I-G-S-K-I-N-10. Homegrown in the Northwest. John Waterstrat and Fireside Home Solutions, the title sponsor of the Beat the Boys competition. Week 15 password I owe you. The Weasel, all one word, lowercase. A thousand bucks from Fireside Home Solutions to the winner. And everyone who beats us wins a prize. Check out new fireplaces, new garage doors at FiresideHomeSolutions.com. And the Woodenville office of Cross Country Mortgage looks like interest rates are now moving in the right direction. Time to jump in and make some difficult decisions. And that's where Jordan Flowers and his Woodenville team comes in handy. They make it so much easier. Call Jordan directly for your mortgage questions. 425-890-2957. Hot Shot is back, and this is episode 266. It begins right now. 
unfiltered. Really? You're putting the game on the line on a fourth down and your and your decision is I'm gonna use DJ Dallas, my third string back, to get me the, the biggest first down of the game? You talk about unforgivable sins, Micah Parsons is one. This is another unfiltered. Again to you, you compare the resumes with Michigan and Washington. Washington has a better resume than Michigan. Michigan's one, and they get to choose, and they say, oh, we don't want to play Alabama in the Sugar Bowl. Screw that. We're not letting Alabama play us in the Sugar Bowl. We'll go out to the Rose Bowl and let all the Tuscaloosa people have to go out to the Rose Bowl. We ain't playing them in the Sugar Bowl. Mitch is unfiltered. Episode 266 of Mitch Unfiltered is now officially underway. He's back in the chair. Uh, we thank the Graz. Yes. For filling in for you. Great pinch Did a great job. Yeah. You probably didn't hear it. Probably stings for him to have to fill in for a guy like me. Probably hurts a little bit. I don't know that he really thinks of it as filling in for a <laughs> no, guy like you. No, he doesn't. He doesn't. No way. <laughs> I know the Graz. He does not look at it that way. No. I thought he was terrific. You probably didn't hear any of it, but I, I, thought, sure. I, I thought it was terrific. Wait. I thought he was really, really good. It was fun to fun to be with him, but it's nice to have you back. I figure here in segment one of episode 266, now that we're officially underway, we should mention a couple of topics. Okay. Did Graz bring up any people farting in jars and selling them online? Or no, he didn't do that. Things stuck in their buttholes? No, he, le- he said, he, I'm going to do, I was going to do all that, he said. Yeah, yeah. But I'll leave that to hot. Oh, that's nice of him. Okay, good. As a result, I have more for the other stuff yeah. segment for this show. So we're going to have to go through those quickly. Otherwise, I'm going to get the flu again. <laughs> so we, Before you get into what you're going to get into, have I said before, it feels like, and I'm not, shouldn't be laughing. In December, do the RIPs ramp up? It feels like I've said that in the past. I don't know. There's I don't even have that many about, of them. Oh, I have like eight. I, I could just do RIPs in the other stuff segment. Well, a that, bunch. That, that teaches you for, for going away and, and missing that's, a show. That's very true. Had you been here, you could have done four of them last week. <laughs> true, yeah. And four of them this week, and maybe they wouldn't have ramped up, and it wouldn't have felt that way. Now, would it have? Fair enough, yes. The Seahawks lost to the San Francisco 49ers on Sunday. Did you see? Yeah. Geno Smith didn't play. Drew Locke, did you watch? Yep. Did about as well as one could expect. Did you feel like he was terrible? Nope, I didn't. Threw a couple of bad passes. One got picked off. Yeah. But considering the scheme, which we've gone over on this show, yeah. the play calling, which we've gone over on this show, abysmal after their early, the early success was well, right down the field after they gave up a quick seven. They got us quick seven back. I think they even had the lead 10-7 yeah. for a for a, a minute there. Incredible throw to DK. You got to give him credit. That that first touchdown was incredible. The problem was that after that first touchdown, on the next drive on the first play, mm-hmm. you'll recall, he did not throw to DK the next play. Oh. DK was open on the go route the next, I believe it was the following play after they scored the seven. He missed and him. He, he either didn't see him or didn't trust him. He should let that thing go, and if he does and he, and he throws a good pass, that's seven. Yeah. DK is running by that guy. I don't know if you recall the, yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. highlight on Fox. But anyway, Drew Locke does his, the best that he can. The defense to me. <laughs> that's, a real, that's, a, that's a real endorsement. Oh, he did the best he can for well, him. Oh, he's Drew Locke. I mean, what is he? I thought he was better. Than, I mean, I, I thought he was better than I was going to see, if that makes any sense. He impressed me a little more. I, I thought he'd be god awful. Oh, no, no, no. I think... I think, yes, I think he was better than anybody could have expected okay. him to be. Yeah, yeah I don't want to. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Against that defense in yeah, that right. situation. That's right, on the road. With only one one day of practice because I think Gino got hurt on Thursday. 
So the only reps that he really got, Drew Locke, was on Friday. Yeah. Okay. I would actually agree with you. He was he was better than I expected him to be. But again, the defense to me is an immense disappointment. They've got they've got players. Now Witherspoon didn't play most of the game, but they've got Witherspoon and they've got Boye Mafe and they've got Jaron Reed and they've got they're supposed to have good safeties. I guess they kind of have good safeties. I don't know. Uh, Tariq Woolen is supposed to be a really good corner. They've got a couple of linebackers, Jordan Brooks and Bobby Wagner. Everybody tells me that he's got the fountain of youth and he's doing okay. But their defense just gives up huge chunk plays. I mean, just huge plays over and over again. They gave up the big plays to Dallas. They're giving up the big plays to San Francisco. They'll probably give up big plays to the Eagles. I don't understand why the defense isn't better at this stage because the defense was really coming on strong there. Yeah. They had that like 11 sack performance against the Giants oh. and then they turned around and played well against the Bengals the next week and there were two or three or four weeks that made you think, wow, the Seahawks defense could end up being pretty damn good this year. You thought that. I don't know if everyone else did. You were on, you loved Am this I defense. the only one who thought I, that? Potentially, I don't know, but you I remember you were on them. You said it's weird for me to be excited about this defense. Absolutely. You were, yeah. I just felt like it was on the come. It was something that I had not felt here since the Legion of Boom. Yeah. Because you had the guys in the secondary and all the guys that we just mentioned. And maybe I overstated it. Maybe it's ski, maybe it's coaching, maybe the players aren't as good as I think they are. Whatever the case is, I am. I find myself really, really frustrated that the defense isn't better at this stage of the year. And so here we are, now a game under 500. It's now a four-game losing streak. The longest, I believe, in a regular season of Pete Carroll's Seattle Seahawks tenure. And here come the Eagles on Monday night. And I'll still give them a chance to beat the Eagles. And I still give them a chance to win each of the last three whether they will or not is another story. Whether they'll make the playoffs or not is another story. But it kind of brings us back to what a lot of people have been saying for a long time, which is change is so desperately needed here in Seattle. Yeah. I don't want to be that sports radio guy who tries to fire people and right. the way that format actually came to life. The WFANs and WIPs of the world back 35, 40 years ago mm -hmm. or 25, 30 years ago, whatever it was. But, God, is it not obvious that we need some fresh new blood? We need to start something anew next year? What is it that you see other than just how they play? Give me some it's examples. Just, it's just the same thing year after year after year. Record-wise? or They're just or... mediocre. And uh, we talk about this. Their offensive uh, ingenuity, there is none. Yeah. Uh, there's no innovation. They're, they've been bad defensively for years. You bring new players in. You get excited about new draft choices. You get excited about a Leonard Williams trade. Yeah, you get sure. excited about all these newcomers. And then you line up in front of your television the following year, and it's the same shit all over again. Now, no disrespect to Pete Carroll. And I guess this is disrespecting Pete Carroll on its on its face. I didn't think, I'll be the first to out myself, I didn't think when they hired Pete Carroll, I gave him 48 games. Yeah. On KJR, you can go back to the tapes. I'm sure KJR would be be thrilled to <laughs> yeah. provide you the tapes. Mitch Levy. Sorry, what was yeah. his last name? I think I said 50 games, 48 games. I hated the hire. Yeah. I thought there was no chance. I hated how they hired him while Jim Mora was at the 
the podium talking about the following year and what he was going to do. They were in L.A. <laughs> hiring right. Pete Carroll. Yeah. I hated the way they hired him. I didn't like the hire. Pete I didn't was think he was coming off some scandalous weirdness at I, the time. With forget USC. that. I just think he was an NFL coach. Okay. I didn't think it was going to work. I thought this was crazy. Yeah. And yet. I don't know how I could have been more wrong. Yeah. It's almost impossible to be more wrong right. about a coach than I was about Pete Carroll. Not a good coach. The greatest coach in franchise history. And arguably a Hall of Fame coach. Right. That's right. I and mean, I think he's got a legitimate shot to right. go to the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Maybe, maybe not. So I, he deserves to be thought of and remembered in Seattle as a legend. Yep. But there always comes a time. That's right. And I think the time was here a couple of years ago, and we just kind of turned a, a shoulder to it right yeah sports fans they, they just get attached and I, I think maybe front offices get attached to things and well the, the, the mariners were accused of that forever well the seahawks in its defense lost their owner yeah when paul allen died i don't know that jody allen was of the mind i don't know that she is now of the mind to start firing Pete carroll the guy who won a super bowl for her brother right yeah. you know i think it, it became very, it became cumbersome and very awkward and yeah. who was ready to you know to pull the plug on him but there always comes a time yep they're finding that out in foxborough in right. new england that's right yeah. they're finding <laughs> that out there always comes a time and look let him retire gracefully let him do it on his terms Pay him his contract if you want. Even give him a ceremonial position within the organization if you'd like. There's a lot of different ways to try to sugarcoat a little bit, but how does anybody watch this? Even the most ardent Pete Carroll supporter. How does anybody watch what we've been watching year after year, game after game, and not say somebody else deserves a shot? Yeah. Let's give somebody else a shot and see what happens. Every good career, sadly, comes to an end in a poor way. It just, it just, that's just that whether it's entertainment, whether it's acting, whether it's movie, you know, music, sports, it just always comes to an end poorly. And I feel like that's where we are with Pete Carroll right now, unfortunately. For me, I can't handle any more penalties and, it just it feels like there's no consequences for any of that stuff on the field. Right. I've been bitching about that for like five years. Right. But when it was good, who gives a shit if Richard right, Sherman right, right. hits you, a guy out of bounds? No, you kind of like it. You, you do like it. You you're absolutely it. right. When you're good. You encourage it. Camp right? Chancellor yeah. hits a guy. Maybe yeah. a step out of bounds. Yeah. F it. I don't care. Let's go set the tone because we're going to the Super Bowl. But right. when that stuff happens in your four game losing streak, it's like enough already. I can't. I can't watch it anymore. The coordinator decisions over the years have been terrible, both offensively and defensively, and there's just no defending it anymore. Yeah. Now, ask me if Jody Allen is in her life, in a position right now where she's comfortable asking Pete Carroll to resign, asking for her his resignation. I don't have any idea. I don't know Jody Allen. I don't think anybody knows Jody Allen. Yeah. So this may be all for naught, but it's time. It's time that somebody else had a chance, and they need coaching changes from top to bottom, sweeping changes. And I don't even know about the general manager. You could ask me about the general manager, make him a part of the decision-making for the new head coach, maybe, maybe not. Maybe the general manager needs to go as well. Yeah. But let a new coach come in here, somebody with young blood. Let him announce his new offensive coordinator. Let him bring his new defensive coordinator, and let's go. Let's see. And what's the worst that could happen? It goes downhill, 
And instead of being this perennial wild card contender that may or may may or may not get in as a wild card Ugh. and play one playoff game, instead of that, you become what six and eleven, and you have one of the top choices, and that regime doesn't work, and then you have to do it again for fine. Right. At this point, fine. I just would like to see some new blood in there and a fresh start. That's item number one. And that new blood is Steve Sarkeesian. No, it's I not know Steve you were Sarkeesian. thinking that the no, whole no, no, time. No. Mitch Levy. <laughs> I would love that. My phone, I, I sit by my phone, it never rings. <laughs> Can I get a consistent coordinator? For you and I, yeah. Thank you. You and I have, um, have not spoken on the Jamal Adams Twitter thing. It's now kind of old news. Mm hmm. Do you want to mention anything? Have you been? Well, I want I want to hear from you. I mean, I've talked a little bit about it with the other guys on the other shows yeah. of Mitch Unfiltered. I've not heard from you. You're a social media guy a little bit. Uh -huh. Jamal Adams last week after he's burned by the Cowboys, the whole thing with the reporter from the Jets and the wife and the whole thing. Do you have any thoughts? Well, from this show, we know that he has rabbit ears a bit, right? Yes. I mean, didn't him and Joe Fan? Oh, yeah. Have their, Joe, yeah. have their thing about him not oh, being yeah. able to cover. Yeah. He can't. yeah. So we we know Jamal has that. Yes. He can't control himself. And he listens to stuff and reads stuff. And we know that it bothers him. But I thought tweeting out a picture of somebody's wife, who, by the way, didn't criticize Jamal Adams. No. Right? She's no. the, Unless she's the beat reporter. Who, no, no. She's not, is she? No, the husband is. Right. Yeah. So tweeting out a picture of her, and what, what was the word he said? Ugh or? Yikes. Yikes, right. He used the same word that the reporter used yeah. when the reporter tweeted out the picture of him getting beat. Yep. Or beaten. Uh, the video of him you know, giving up a touchdown against the Cowboys, the reporter, the Jets reporter, who apparently there's history with. I'm sure sent out a video of him getting beaten and wrote yikes. Yeah. And then his response was to send a picture of the wife and write yikes. Yeah. I think you have to be a professional because it is called professional football. Yeah. And I think you just, that kind of stuff just can't, you have to be bigger than that. And the fact that he doubled down. Yeah. That part to me really did not sit well with me. It's one thing to, you know, people get pissed off and, and you, you lose it. it and, and there you I'm going to send a tweet. Ah, there you and then you kind of regret it. Like shit, that was kind of immature. There you have it. Double, to what double you, down What you just that. did ah. is explain my exact position. Yeah. Obviously classless, obviously out of bounds, but how many of us, I have my hand raised, say things or do things that are regrettable in the heat of the moment? Mm -hmm. Sure. We feel under attack. We attack back. We do things. I don't mean in any way to defend what he did. Yep. What he did was so wrong. It's, I mean, you take a million people, 999,999 are going to think that it was wrong. Right. It was it was a low blow by any stretch, by any standard. And I don't mean to defend that, but a lot of us do things that we wish we didn't when we're under attack and under fire. I know that I am one of those people. Okay? Ask my wife if she thinks I'm defensive. <laughs> so, yes, I get it. Okay. <laughs> but having five days to consider what you did <laughs> Talk to your employers, talk to your family, talk to your friends, have quiet moments by yourself like he had in his own home with your own thoughts, and then turn around and as you use the words, double down and not show any remorse over that. I mean, to me, that's the that's the bigger transgression of the two. Yeah. You would think a really a decent human being after five days 
would have had a much different response and reaction than Jamal Adams did on that whatever Wednesday or Thursday, a week later or five days later. It's almost incomprehensible yeah. that the man couldn't come up with anything better than what he came up with. What, so that's the issue. What When somebody goes low, I go low too or something like that. He, he went said, low, I went lower. Went lower, something yeah. Like that. You yeah. sure did. He did. I he mean, did. it's one thing if you want to hate that man, you're welcome to hate who you want in life. Yeah. But after five days, you could have said, yeah, that... She was off limits, and I, I regret that. I, I still, you, I still hate him. You can say that all you want. Oh, you could have said a million things, and all of them would have been better than what he did say. Not, not all of life is the mafia, but you get whacked for messing with somebody's How does wife. He not. That's the whole point. How does he not, after five days, feel a little bad? Yeah. God, I'm making what. $15 million this year. And that most people say I don't I earn. sucked on that play. <laughs> right, right. This guy's making 27000 bucks writing for the New York Jets on a blog. Yeah. Yeah, he took a low blow. God, I shouldn't have done that. But again, you're welcome to hate the blogger. Yeah. Because he came after you. Yeah. You're welcome to, but yeah. leave his wife out of it. But, she, and he never... He never looked in the mirror over those. He goes, yeah. oh, I should have left her yep. out. Oh, that was bad. Shocking. Oh, come on, Jamal. You're better than that. Yeah. He didn't say that to himself once. Doesn't appear so. And I'm not sure he is. Third item for segment one is the Shohei Otani $700 million contract with the Los Angeles Dodgers. So the Mariners were second in the bidding? And yeah, they, they were right. They missed it by that much <laughs> yes. in the great words of Maxwell Smart. That's right, yeah. Who nobody realizes who that is because we're all very, very old. <laughs> That's true. We are, yes. So let me get this straight. The second largest market team, the Los Angeles Dodgers, market number two mm -hmm. behind New York, invest $700 million on one player a week after the 12th largest market, Seattle, Washington, literally gives Jared Kalnick away mm -hmm. So that the other team will take two other guys and $20 million off their book. To save $20 million, they gave a young player who you may think sucks, who you may think will never be any good, or you might think, hmm, got better this past year, and if he can keep his head on straight, maybe we'll be better. They gave the guy away so that the Atlanta Braves would take $20 million off of their books a week before a team that they're competing with in the same – I mean, they're not – American League teams, you get that. But yeah, yeah. a week before, one other team gives one player $700 million. Yeah. yeah. And so now you have to ask Mariner fans to just come to games and root for this team. I mean, it's everything's equal, right? I mean, we're all in Major League Baseball. We have a chance to win the World What message does that send? Well, now you know why the NBA has a salary cap. It, Completely. And now you know why the NFL has a salary cap. That's right. Yep. Because, because Kansas City Chiefs can be good. Correct. It, it's great. Correct. It's not a big market. So the question that I have is, when will all of us just stop dreaming here in Seattle and realize that the Seattle Mariners are a mid-major baseball team? <laughs> Who are we? Xavier? Who are we? Xavier is probably a little high. They are. Oh, okay. Yeah. You know what Washington State is right now? What? You know what Oregon State is right now? They've been left behind. Yeah, They're oh, looking yeah, for yeah. conferences. You know what in college basketball Butler is? Do you know what FAU is? You know, those teams, yeah. every once in a while, a mid-major makes a nice run and gets yeah. to the Final Four. They can have nice runs. But over the course of, of time, they can't compete. And until this organization, the Seattle Mariners, has an owner 
who comes around and says, all right, we're not making the priority treating professional baseball ownership as a business. We're not going to run it strictly as a business. We realize that it's got to be run differently than that. Right. Until that happens, ladies and gentlemen of the Pacific Northwest and wherever you might be listening to this podcast, if you are a Seattle Mariners fan, whether you're in Bend, Oregon or Scottsdale, Arizona or New York, New York or Florida, wherever you're listening to this podcast, Say it now and say it proud. You are the fan of a mid-major baseball team. That's what you're a fan of. Yeah. Think about how you felt in a, a year ago after they beat Toronto in the playoffs and Julio. You know, just think about how we felt as Mariner fans. Like, finally, we got a superstar. They're going to go out and get some guys. Well, they told gonna- us. They oh. told us for years. How many years did the organization tell us in different ways that we're not going to spend a lot this offseason? And we're not going to spend a lot next offseason. We're waiting until we get good. When we get to the mm. point where we're on the precipice of being a champion, that's when we're going to go for it. How many times do they tell us sure, that? Yeah, yeah. They made that promise to us over and over and over again. Yeah. Well, here we are. Here we are. We're in the offseason that's the most crucial in the history of the Mariners organization for them to go out and spend. We just watched a Texas Rangers team, did we not? Spend right. hundreds and hundreds of million dollars, millions of dollars in free agency over the last couple of years and essentially buy their way to competitiveness and a world championship. Here we are. Yep. And the Mariners have decided to go in a different direction and they're blaming the Root Sports Comcast thing. You've probably followed that. Comcast has now decided to put the game or Root Sports on a higher tier. Wah. Less. Less eyeballs means God. less commercial money, revenue, and the Mariners are freaking out, and they're putting a freeze on spending. When did that become my problem, by the way? Today. Oh, it is. I just oh, made it your it problem. it is. Okay. Yeah, I just I, made it your When problem. did it become all of our problems? That's not my problem. I want to root for a winner. I'm sick of it. You can root for a winner. They're a winner. Butler wins in college basketball all the time. Oh, they do. Oh, F- that's true, I guess. FAU yeah. went to the Final Four. I'm not sitting here telling you that the Mariners can't make the playoffs. They may make the playoffs next year. Got a good pitching staff. No hitting, but they got a good pitching staff. We'll see what they do in the offseason. My message to you on this podcast is the Mariners can't win. Don't think that they're ever going to win. They can. They might even luck themselves into winning a few playoff series and going deep into a playoffs. I'm not saying they can't do that. FAU, I think, played for the national championship last year. But over the course of time, until they get an owner who doesn't treat this like a company in downtown Seattle. That's right. You got no chance over time competing with these other other players. Right, but you can't. Right, so you're saying you you can't look at a baseball club and treat it to where the ledger has to work out perfectly. I don't yeah. think you can. You have to know you're going to take it no. in the shorts for a while and then hope that that gamble pays off yeah. at some point. Yeah, I, I, and I have. I don't want to say too much, but I have I, I have closely observed an owner do just that over the last many years. Over yeah. the last about six, eight, ten years. Yeah, I've watched very closely. You have no shot. That's the name of the game, though, right? And if you're the not Dodgers gonna... ownership are not saying, "Hey, let's go give Shohei Otani seven hundred million dollars," so that next year when we look at the twenty twenty four bottom line, yeah. oh my God, boy, is this good for business? Well, this is great for business. <laughs> seven hundred million, right? Exactly. I mean, that's not what they're doing. Is there anything they could do to where you'd go, okay, now I get it. Now I get dumping Gino and. And Tay Oscar, is there a, what yeah. what what move or moves could they do? Yeah, I don't would... know. I don't know. You'll you'll listen to the uh, 
to the Mariners no table and they'll okay. tell you the guys to watch for. I don't follow it as closely as I used to. And they'll tell you the free agents we should watch for, the people they could trade for. But the problem that they have is Jerry DePoto is between a rock and a hard place. By that, I mean he's been placed in a position where because they don't want to add payroll, mm -hmm. that they can't go out really and buy players because that adds payroll. So what they have to do is try to get players from other teams that are on cheaper contracts. And by doing that, to get quality players from other teams that are not making a lot of money, what do you have to do? Typically give up prospects, farm system. You've got to mortgage it. your future. Yeah. It's hard to be good year after year after year if you're going to take your whole farm system and trade them for these types of players. You might have to trade Logan Gilbert or George Kirby. But then that seems we're just sort of staying put, yes. though. Like it's, yes, you're robbing. It's, annoying. it's exactly what you're doing. You're yeah. robbing Peter to pay Paul because you've got this freeze on whatever the number is, $140 million for next year. Bargain shopping. It's like my fucking parents taking me to Kmart for special well, school not, shopping. Well, it's not exactly bargain shopping because you're going after guys that are terrific ball players that are just in their early contracts yeah. and not making a lot of money. But how many so of those are out there? I mean, they're not. They're out there. They're just very expensive in terms of compensation. Yeah. When I say compensation, I mean what you have to, the what you you have to, to give up, up yeah. to get those guys, right? All right, so let's do three interviews and come back with the other stuff segment, episode 266. Here we are again with Fireside Home Solutions owner John Waterstrat. How are you, John? Doing great, Mitch. Thank you very much for having me on again. It's nice to have you back. Football season in full swing. That means a few things, like it's time to evaluate your old fireplaces, chilly temperatures around the corner. Question, how do I know if I need a new one? Is it appearance, functionality, or both, John? It's probably a little bit of both. We always talk to people about, hey, how long have you had this fireplace? You know, what's your usage on? that. Just taking a look at it. If it just doesn't look like it's doing what you want it to do, call us up. We can have one of our service technicians come out and do mm -hmm. a quick evaluation, give you some recommendations. And if that fireplace is and it just needs to be refreshed, we'll do that for you too. If it needs to be replaced, they'll hook you in with one of our sales staff and we'll get that taken care of for you. Is it a little more complicated if I want to incorporate a fireplace into an area of my home that's never had one? To be honest, yes, I think it's a little harder, but it's not a full remodel. You have to kind of decide on what you want. If you don't have a fireplace and you want to do something freestanding, mm -hmm. have that done in a day. If you want something framed up, be there and kind of be part of your room. We can help you with that. We have contractors that can help you with that. We can look at the fireplaces and see what you would want. And then we can hook you in with the contractors that do the tile and other things that are available. So I know you want us to come out to one of your showrooms. I'd like to know about the reaction to that newly remodeled Bellevue location, John. Yeah, it's been great. It's been uh, inspiring for all of us. Uh, I love people to walk in and see that first fireplace we have in there. It's a fireplace that has glass on all four sides. It's almost like a floating fireplace. Wow. You'd be wowed by it. But uh, yeah, just come on in and be inspired and you yeah. can be a kid in a candy store. <laughs> John Waterstrat, Fireside Home Solutions, just a terrific partner of Mitch Unfiltered and the presenting partner of our fourth annual Beat the Boys competition this football season. Where would we be without John and FiresideHomeSolutions.com? Unfiltered. Two-time American League MVP Shohei Otani has landed the richest free agent contract in baseball history, and the numbers are eye-popping. The two-way superstar agreed to a 10-year, $700 million deal with the Los Angeles Dodgers. 
seismic Shohei Otani news over the weekend of Major League Baseball. And no, it did not include the Seattle Mariners. In fact, to call the Mariners fans restless at this point would be one of the great understatements, I think, of a lifetime. But that won't stop us. That won't stop the Mariners' no table from a special off-season session. Joe Doyle and Jason Churchill. We'll start with you, Church. Were you caught off guard at all by the Shohei numbers? Seven hundred million? Uh, maybe a little bit. I, I think Joe and I have discussed, you know, over the summer and even in the fall, like how high this could go. And I, I think the highest we ever got, Joe, was about six hundred, maybe six fifty. But I think I all, always thought, Mitch, all along, you could pay this guy a billion dollars. And you're going to get your money back on your investment. If you're in a if you're in a major city, you're going to get your money back on this guy. So not completely floored, a little bit surprised. Hold on. Hold on. Is Seattle a major city? Would Seattle yes. Would Seattle yes. gotten the return of the investment on Shohei? One thousand percent, absolutely. So why didn't they do it? If they're going to get their money back, why don't you do it? Well, I, I think the answer to that, I think they've answered that themselves, haven't they? They they care uh, about the bottom line first. You know, I went on this big. Well, I thought in my this head. is the bottom line. You're telling me they can get their money back. Isn't that the bottom line? No. Yeah, but they're not risk takers, though, Mitch. That's that's the thing about these major league baseball owners in Seattle. Unfortunately, is no different. That's what they're showing us right now. That while winning matters to them, the bottom line is so much more important. They're not willing to put the biscuit out there and take that risk while these other owners are. Yeah, kind of crazy. I I will say just from a, a macro ten thousand foot view, kind of crazy that. Uh, Shohei Otani beat the last highest record contract ever by 235 million, and he beat the last AAV by you know 27 million. I mean, he damn near doubled mm. uh, some of the previous highs that we've ever seen. In terms of Seattle, like no, I, I, this was never going to be in the cards as soon as they kind of pulled the air out of the balloon here with with contract talks and payroll. And and Jason's dead on. Like it's just not an organization that seems to want to take risks, and they they don't like to think. Uh, in different ways of generating revenue that are, you know, anything outside of gate concessions and things like that. So uh, it's a shame. If you're a Dodger fan, Jason, are you at all concerned that he'll never be the pitcher that he once was? No, no, I'm really not. I'm thinking about it this way. Like if, well, first of all, if I'm a Dodgers fan out there, I'm thinking about it like this. My Dodgers know what they're doing. And they're kind of the Yankees of the 90s in the early 2000s, where if they make a deal for a guy and he's only worth about half that, they'll just spend to cover it up. And that's exactly what this, this team has done. What the Dodgers have done is already they've set them up themselves up already with Freddie Freeman and Mookie Betts and some of the players they didn't bring back, like Trey Turner and Justin Turner and, and Corey Seager a couple of years ago. Uh, they set themselves up to absorb this. If he's only worth $40 million over the next eight years, and they have to kind of eat $380 million, you know, at least on the field, then they'll make up for that. They'll absolutely make up for that. The thing is, like, he's going to pay for himself in marketing for them. I mean, it's a really perfect place for him to be for baseball, really, as much as it would have been great to see him go to Seattle or San Francisco or the Cubs as well. Him going to Los Angeles was pretty big. You know, Jason, you you started off your, your piece there by saying, you could have paid him a billion dollars. Well, I, ultimately, at the end of this contract, when the Dodgers are done paying for the collective bargaining tax and paying for, you know, the loss of draft picks, you know, their draft picks falling 10 spots for the next 10 years, because, you know, they're going to be over 275 million for the next 10 years. They they only have to spend 25 million more this offseason to get there. Um, they're going to be paying a lot more than just that 700 million. There's going to be opportunity costs. There's going to be taxes that come into play. And I, I think ultimately, like the value lost will probably approach a billion dollars. But like you said, like Shohei Otani is just such a such an international Michael Jordan-esque superstar that uh, they're going to recoup so much in brand 
recognition globally that this mm-hmm. this this will probably pay for itself halfway through the contract. And what's big here too, and this this is kind of the whole point, right? Like Shohei Otani makes the Dodgers a World Series favorite again. Like they kind of were anyway, but we were looking at this as they need to go get at least two starting pitchers and probably a hitter to kind of get back to where they were a couple of years ago because they took last year off for this purpose. But they're back now. They'll go out and add a they'll they'll go out and add a couple of pitchers, whether it's Yamamoto or Snell or Cease or Burns, and they'll be right back where they were a couple of years ago as the best roster in baseball because they're trying to they're still playing catch up right now to the Atlanta Braves. All right, north from Los Angeles to Seattle. We'll get to the overall sentiment of Mariners fans, just the bitter disappointment of Mariners fans. But let's first talk about each individual thing that they did or didn't do. Let's start, Joe, with you. Teo Hernandez is not back. 258, 26 homers, a 741 on-base percentage, 211 strikeouts is gone. Gino Suarez is not back. 20-plus home runs the last two years, 214 strikeouts out the door from a year ago. Talk about what they're missing from those two guys and whether they were significant losses. Yeah, I mean, in terms of the one-pack punch, you know, the the late seventh inning solo home run, the fourth inning solo home run, like, yeah, you're going to miss those, and you're probably going to miss the reliability that you got from Eugenio Suarez at third base. I still think it's the right move to move on from both of them. Teoscar Hernandez wasn't going to be a good fit, and, you know, with, with what we know about payroll at $20 million, I mean, that's such an exorbitant amount of money to pay for the type of player that he was. You know, that makes sense. But are they going to miss him? Yeah, they're going to miss him. But you look at the roster, the, the way that it's shaped up right now, the team doesn't have a right fielder. The team doesn't have a third baseman. So inherently, we're going to sit here and go, boy, their value is going to be missed quite a bit. I do think Seattle is going in the right direction in terms of putting the ball in play, putting the game in motion, letting some of these players that can really run actually run. Um, but in general, the roster's in a tough spot, and, okay. and I okay. think if you looked at this a month ago, you would have wanted both of those players on your on your roster right now. Church, he just said the team doesn't have a third baseman. I thought Urias would be the everyday third baseman mm. as the uh, as the winter months continue to go on and on. It seems like that's the plan. Now, if, if someone else, you know, if a Justin Turner or somebody wants to show interest in Seattle, I could see them giving a guy like that a one-year deal. But again, that's not a great place for hitters to go. It's not a great place for guys with middle you know, kind of medium power to go that like to hit the ball in the air. I mean, that would say Oscar Hernandez, and that was especially Eugenio Suarez. You know, and we're here them connected to a couple of guys that hit right-handed and, and like to hit the ball in the air and like to pull the ball. Uh, I really think they're just trying to go with not just more contact, but they're trying to spend that money better. Like, yes, Urias is going to make more contact. Who knows what he does at the plate? He's had a couple of decent years. And I think they're just trying to, and I'm doing this, is great for radio. Like, one guy was headed in one direction, and one guy was headed in the other. When you compare Suarez and Urias. So they're hoping a little bit on Urias. Uh, but you get, you still have to go out and add hitters to this lineup. Even if you think that Urias is 80%, 90% of what Suarez is, you haven't replaced... Teoscar Hernandez at this point, and there are other players on this roster that are gone, and I'm sure we're going to get to here in a minute, that you haven't replaced. So they obviously have a lot of work to do, and a lot more work to do than when the season ended because of these moves. Can I just say, Luis Arias, you know, he could be a great player. He could be a really solid third baseman. But this is not the point in the competitive window where hope and hopefulness and wishfulness and bounce back those types of words i don't want to hear them. i just don't want to hear them in, in 2024 and i think that's where where this not this front office but where this ownership is kind of forcing their hand joe do you think that the arms that they got back will ever be a factor for the mariners these the vargas's and coars and phillips of the world 
Well, listen, I think Cole Phillips has the chance to be the best of the bunch. Uh, I think he's got a chance to be a solid mid-rotation starter, but you're not going to see Cole Phillips until at least 2027. I mean, he's barely thrown uh, in organized baseball at this point. I did get a comparison on Jackson Coar of Kendall Graveman, and I, you know, that came from within the organization. And I got to say, what they did with Kendall Graveman by turning him into a reasonably premium high-leverage reliever was pretty impressive. I think finding that magic in a barrel twice is is unlikely. So at, this is the way I look at it, Mitch. Jackson Coar has been terrible in the big leagues. Carlos Vargas has been better, but not good. You got two guys that throw 98 to 101. Will we see them? Will they play big roles within the team? Of course. They throw extremely hard and they have big league experience. Will they be good? I don't know. That's uh, that's kind of where we go back to the whole being wishful, hopeful, and dreaming on a prayer here. We move to Jared Kelnick, the now former Seattle Mariner after everything that Jared Kelnick's been through and everything Jared Kelnick has put Seattle Mariners fans and organization through. It's a shame, no question, that they had to do this to get rid of payroll, which is exactly what they did. They gave him away to a team that took on some of the payroll off of the books from the Seattle Mariners. Are you concerned, Church, that Koenig now blossoms? No, uh, and that's because I don't look at trades like that at all. I, I totally understand why fans are looking. He's going to go to Atlanta now, and he's going to be really, really good. I, I, I get it because there's a chance that he does. It won't necessarily have anything to do with Seattle versus Atlanta, although I think some of the the more traditional stats, it's an easier place to hit than, than T-Mobile Park is. But, it, you know, this is a situation where I look at Jared Kelnick as he was kind of one of those hope guys we talk about there, Joe. But you look at the improvement that he put up from the previous two years. He was a, a I use the, the the metric WRC plus. It's kind of all encompassing where 100 is major league average. He was a 67 combined in 2021 and 2022. And he was, you know, over, he was a 108 a year ago. Massive improvement. And if he stayed where he was or got a little bit better than a year ago and stayed off the IL, stopped kicking coolers, he would have been one of the answers for the Mariners in 2024 at the plate. But there's also this chance that he goes backwards, that he gets exposed because, again, it's not like he spent the whole season. And you never know. Guy has even one really good season. You don't know if he can sustain it. So he still would have been one of those hope guys. So I don't look at this as, oh, man, they, they gave him away like at the wrong time and he's going to go. The fact that they gave him away and didn't get anything for him player-wise is the big issue here. Now, I would feel completely different about this. I don't know how Joe feels. If the Mariners somehow created – this wasn't possible. I'm just making this up just to, just to demonstrate the point. If the Mariners traded Jared Kelnick and gained like $80 million in payroll flexibility, I would feel a lot differently about this because that's so significant that it allows you to go out and do so many impactful things that you wouldn't be able to do. That's clearly not the case here. It's minuscule compared to that. It's just really sad and that uh, and that Jerry DePoto was forced to make a move like that. The number I was going to throw out was $60 million. Like I think you traded Jared Kelnick, who on an open market, blossoming as a 23 year old and you don't even have to say blossoming but on the low end let's just say he's a, a 1.5 f war guy mm. for the next five years you give a 1.5 f war guy five years of cheap control that's a 50 million dollar value 40 million dollar value at worst and seattle got 24 million bucks for it so uh I, I didn't have a huge problem with the deal because i think there is a there is a uh, an aspect of it that even the Braves will admit, you know, maybe he only bats against righties. I don't know if this guy is going to be actual an inter integral part of what this organization is going to do. But the issue is days later, just a few days later, the Boston Red Sox trade one year 
of $9 million of Alex Verdugo for three pretty interesting, legit prospects. And I think the issue here is you gave away five years of an even more. Jared Kelnick is probably going to be a better major league player every single year for the next five years than Alex Verdugo. And the Red Sox got prospects and talent back for him. And Seattle gave him away for $24 million in a deep breath. And I hated that. Is that because they couldn't get a better deal from somebody else? At least right now. Had At least be. right now. I think if they yeah, were willing to, to wait, maybe they do better. But they needed that to be cleared right now or they can't do anything else. Mm. That's what tells us, Mitch, that not not just the, the fact that they did it, but the timeline. That's what tells us that there's a payroll freeze. There is essentially a payroll freeze. It's not necessarily a cut. We'll see what they do to get back to where they were, at least where they were last year. And we we did hear from Jerry DePoto Same that he does expect north, it to north. get back to that range. Yes. But that's still a payroll freeze at the worst time in this process that it could possibly come. And again, we look back to last year, the, the actual additions they made were minimal, even payroll wise, it was minimal. And a lot of it was internal. So you get the Julio deal and some guys getting increases in, in, in salaries and things of that nature. This ownership stop stopped trying to win last year. And how much were they trying to win before that? Still not a lot of evidence. They were really all into winning. It was like, look at all the money we're going to make because our team is a playoff contender. Church, Jerry said to your point that he expects the payroll to be more than the $140 million that they dished out last year. So now I feel like he's in a precarious position because to acquire the offense that they need, they will have to trade pieces that could be the cornerstones of their future, whether mm -hmm. they be top prospects in the organization or even, dare we say, a Gilbert or Kirby essentially robbing Peter to pay Paul. What will he do? What should he do at this point? Yeah, so if if you really only have $20 million, and I think it could be as much as 20 because the thing is, he said it's going to be, you know, he feels it's going to be be higher. It's going to be more, but we don't know if that means a million more, a dollar more, 5 million more. I think we're pretty sure it's not going to be 10 or 15 or 20 million more, but if they, if they just have to get to 140 ish, they have about $23 million to get there. That's not a lot of space. So I'm thinking one trade mid tier. Yeah. I'm thinking one mid tier free agent at best. And then everything else has to be via trade. And you're right. That's going to have an impact on maybe your, your big league starting rotation. That's going to have an impact on your farm system that really shouldn't be there. Like this should be the, like the farm system moves, the rotation move should be to finish off your roster to make you look like you're going to win your division instead of just kind of, you know, staying with everybody else. Cause that's what they're trying to do right now. The idea coming into this off season should have been, how can we push ourselves ahead of Houston and ahead of Texas? Instead, it's how do we keep up with where we were a year ago? That's kind of where they are right now. So if they're forced to trade a Kirby or a Gilbert, Joe, I see where that in, in the last nine starts of Gilbert's 2023, the Mariners went four and five in those games. In the last nine starts of Kirby's games, last nine Kirby starts, the team went four and five in those nine games. So they were eight and 10 in the important 18 games, last 18 games that those two guys pitched which may not be as much about them as much as it is about the offense, but still, they were not playing above 500 at the end of the year with those two guys on the mound. Who would you move if you had to move one of them? Well, for me, I think it's simple. It really comes down to control. I think you just kind of move Logan Gilbert because you have one more year of George Kirby. And I, right. I think from a value standpoint, if we're talking financials, which is it's really it's a shame that that is kind of the narrative that has to hover around all of these different conversations. I think they're probably about equal in terms of what they can provide a team in 2024. I, I don't think they're all that too 
dissimilar. They could both be number twos in 2024. But Logan Gilbert's going to be expensive quicker than George Kirby is. And I think for that reason, you got to move. You got to move Logan Gilbert. But one thing nobody's talking about here is they don't have the pitching. They moved Marco Gonzalez. They don't have the depth. Now, could they go out and spend you know, 12 million or 8 million or whatever million of their $23 million budget on a Michael Waka, who's a high number five, low number four to replace a guy that they trade. Sure. But, you know, by moving Marco Gonzalez, uh, you, you don't have the depth. You have six arms right now. If you include Emerson Hancock, who's been, been a porcelain vase himself. So Seattle still needs an arm. They they still need to find innings this offseason. And I think that has to be as big a priority as finding a bat. Yeah, this is a this is a tough one, Mitch, because, you know, I, I'm of the opinion that, you know, you look at the projected starting five and there's one guy in that five that I just don't think should start next year in, at, at the big league level. Like judging by what we saw from Brian Wu, there are a lot of reasons, two main ones, to not automatically just hand him that job. And it's not performance. It's, hey, how much better could he get spending a month or two in the minors? And and how much can we manage his workload of him spending, you know, four, six, eight weeks in the minors and get him prepared for the big leagues, handling lefties a little bit better? I mean, it, you know, we talk about Gilbert and and, and Kirby, the last the, 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 the last nine starts and the team going four and five. So eight and, and ten combined. I mean, that was an offensive thing. Both of those guys were above average starters combined those last nine starts. This is about the offense. But when you talk about the rotation itself, like Brian Wu could be a weakness for them. You can't just transfer all the good stuff from 2023 into 2024 and ignore the fact that he could be exposed being a guy who mostly is a two pitch guy. And those two pitches are both fastballs, Mitch. So I'd like to see Brian Wu start the year in AAA Tacoma. And that means they got to go get someone and not just anyone. It can't just be this run of the mill one to $2 million. It's got to be a guy who you can rely on to give you something. And if you're going to trade Miller or Gilbert or Kirby, you got to go get somebody better than that to fill that gap. Church, go back to what Joe said, that he would trade Gilbert before he trade Mm -hmm. Kirby because of the year, the extra year. What if because of that extra year and maybe another team's organization's fascination with Kirby, Maybe they're more fascinated with Kirby and he gives them an extra year. They're willing to give you an extended price, a better compensation package, Mm -hmm. and maybe a a cheaper compensation package that's not only great player or great players, but cheap great player and great players. Would you move Kirby at that at that stage? Yeah. Uh, yeah, in a vacuum, yeah. You know, that that's a real thing, Mitch. It's a really good point. You could get more. In in theory, you could get more for George Kirby. And I think you probably would just because of the extra year. But sadly here, I'm gonna point out the difference in those two players' salary. And that that trading Logan Gilbert's gonna save you four million bucks over trading George Kirby. Sadly, that might actually matter oh in this conversation. Oh this is it's garbage. It's garbage. I think all of us agree that that being a factor ever, especially oh now, uh, is bad. But yeah, I, I think it just depends on what you get. And, and and beauty's in the eye of the beholder. If you're a team like the Giants, you might like George Kirby more. If you, you're a team like the Dodgers, you might prefer George uh, uh, Logan Gilbert more. You know, you might just go back and forth and it just might be one of those situations, but it depends on who you're going to get. Yeah. If you're telling them, you know, it, it really depends on who you're going to get. Yeah. To be honest with you, I'd rather they didn't trade either guy. Well, of course. I'd rather them are, trade yeah, Bryce yeah. Miller and I'd rather, I'd rather trade from the farm system pretty aggressively than trade uh, I agree. Uh, Logan Gilbert or George Kirby I right now. Listen, I, I don't want to be a, a doomsday Uh, alarmist here, but Seattle is going to have to make a choice in the next 18 months because I did the work. I did the numbers. I looked at the estimates. If they did nothing 
this winter and next winter. Next year's payroll is already set, depending on performance of some of the arbitration guys, between 145 and 150 million. You're going to have to trade more guys making money next winter if you want to get back down to 140 or 150. And listen, there's a there's a, a universe where ownership comes through and says, okay, now we're ready. Things are okay. The books look good. We'll go back up to 180. We'll go to 185. We'll protect this thing. But this team is going to need they're going to need the payroll to be 170, 175 million in 2025, or this is the roster that you are looking at through 2026. And mm-hmm. Joe, by 2026, where is Logan Gilbert in terms of coming to the team for $30 million a year? Mm. Maybe you're forced to trade Logan Gilbert or George Kirby for the because of the fact that we're getting closer and closer to them asking for big money that you're you're not prepared to pay them. Yeah, this is the Tino Martinez conversation you, yeah. from, from 25 years ago. That, that's what we're talking about here. The Tino Martinez situation and what happened in that one. I, the GMs are different, but that didn't exactly turn out so great for the Seattle Mariners because when you have a good player, a really good player, and you trade them for players that you're hoping to be good, more often than not, it doesn't turn out. The guy I think is probably the guy that actually ends up getting moved, not necessarily first, but I think is the most likely, is Cal Raleigh the catcher. Really? That's the guy. Unfortunately, wow. that's the guy I think the Mariners are going to choose to sacrifice if it wow. comes down to one guy in the next couple of years and then Cal Raleigh's wow. gone. All right, talk to me, Church, before we finish up here. Free agents that have been linked to the Mariners and non-free agents. They're the, the guys in Tampa that we've heard they might be discussing in terms of a trade in the middle of their lineup. There's a uh, a DH in Florida, I think, at Mi- in Miami, who's uh, hit the ball out of the ballpark at a nice rate the last couple of years. Give me a sense of who we're hearing about in terms of uh, potential Mariners of of next year, 2024. Yeah, we're hearing a lot of Jorge Soler right now. Uh, spent last year, had a really He's good year Florida in Miami guy. last year. He's, He's the, the Florida, Florida guy. guy. Yeah. Yep. Uh, a little bit more uh, power production than, than Teoscar Hernandez, but otherwise very similar players. But one of the main differences here is not quite the strikeout guy. Like he's, oh. he's reasonably better at this. It's still higher, higher than average, but we're not talking about 31, 32, 33%. Jorge is a really interesting guy there. Mitch Garver is the other one. Hold on. How much, how much does Soler cost? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I'm hearing right now he wants four years. That's a really tough one for me to swallow. And if you're giving a guy like that four years and $80 million, Seattle's going to be out. So it really depends on, on how much interest there is in a guy like Jorge Soler who really belongs at DH, but he kind of, do you like him more than Teoscar Hernandez? I do. Actually, I do for this club. I do. Okay. Yeah, okay. I do. Uh, right. He's going to run into some of the same issues, but yeah, he's right there. And Mitch Garver's the other one, the, the guy that caught a little bit, was mostly a DH in Texas. Don't really love that idea, but I think he's more likely for Seattle because he's going to cost less on an average annual. How about the Rays guys, Joe? You like the, the Rays all-stars in a trade? Why would they be trading these guys? They're only making... You know, six, seven, eight, nine million dollars, as I understand it. Well, the Rays payroll is nine, ten, eleven million dollars, so uh, they can't spend all of that in one place. I like Randy Rosarena. Joe, I Joe, you are funny. See, you are funny, Joe Doyle. You try to tell me before the show you're not funny. That was funny. You said it, not me. <laughs> I th- listen, uh, Mitch. I, I like Randy Rosarena. I think he's a good fit. I don't think he's he's a, a superstar. I don't even know if I would classify him as a star. He's got a flair for the dramatic. He's a really solid player who I think would fit great in left field for the Seattle Mariners. I don't know if Isak Paredes is worth the price that Seattle could potentially pay for him, but beggars can't be choosers right now. As long as Seattle can avoid the bargain bin and go out and add players that'll, you know, get the team in a position to potentially win 90 games again. Because right now, it's, I'd say this is an 82, 83 win roster. Uh, a Rosarena would go a long ways toward doing that. And if, if Paredes was in there, 
Uh, that would probably make the team a little bit better, but I just I don't see any way that you could pull both of those guys without moving uh, Logan Gilbert. Yeah, let me throw another name in there. I know everybody wants to ask about Yandy Diaz, but uh, how about Harold Ramirez as a guy that might be kind of low hanging fruit if you're Seattle trying to acquire a guy? You get to get him for a couple of years. Uh, he's had a couple of really good years offensively. He's mostly just a DH, but if you really needed him to play right field for a couple of innings, he could do it. Uh, hit 313, 353 with 12 homers last year. Uh, the year before, he also hit 300, gets on base a little bit, makes contact, uh, hits the ball in the gap. Uh, kind of a poor man's Teoscar Hernandez from a power standpoint and, and a defense and an athleticism standpoint, but he makes a lot of contact and hits for average. That would be a really interesting guy for Seattle to acquire as well. Well, hopefully the next time that the Seattle Mariners' no table is together, we'll have more exciting acquisition news to talk about. Church, thanks very much. You got it. Thanks, Mitch. We love you, Joe. Thank you. All right, buddy. She's back. Katie Versio, Director of Financial Planning, Evergreen Golf Call. Hi, Katie. I understand there's a special anniversary or birthday over there in Bellevue. Yes. Uh, Evergreen is celebrating our 40th anniversary this nice. year. Nice. Very, very nice. So that means the new Make Mitch Look Foolish quiz is a 40th anniversary special this week. That's right. Okay. I'm ready. Go ahead. So it's been an interesting year in the market. Overall, the S&P 500 is up about 11% for the year. Last time when we spoke in July, it was up about 19%. So there's been some volatility over that time. But I'm going to see how much you've been paying attention. Okay. First question, what is the return on value stocks for 2023? So value stocks are blue chip companies that trade at attractive valuations, often pay dividends, things like financials, Costco, companies like that. Value stocks, are they up 7%, 2%, or down? 1% I would think that they're up because overall the market is up, but I'll just say 2%. How about that? Unfortunately, they're down 1%. Oh, really? It's quite the diversion where what we're going to look at in question number two, yeah. we're going to turn to our focus on what's the return on growth stocks. Right, right. These are companies like Tesla, Meta, Google, some of the big tech giants. Mm-hmm. So are those stocks up 31%, 24%, or 5%? So if the value stocks are down too, these have to be up big, big, big for the numbers to make sense. So it's either 24, 31. I'll say the 31%. So they're actually up 24%. (laughs) So you can see there's a big diversion between these different areas of the market. And really, there's only a handful of stocks that are driving the market return this year. So while overall the market's up, it doesn't tell the full story. Which means I'm on the precipice of going 0 for 3. Let me see if I can salvage one for us, Katie. Go ahead. All right, I'll give you an easy one. It's a true or false. Okay. So true or false, the return on the bond market is negative for the year. Well, that has to be true if the if the stock, well, it doesn't have to be, but most likely that's true if the stock market is thriving, right? That's true. The bond market is down over 3% this year. So I go one for three and in baseball, 333 makes me an all-star hitter. I'm going to stick to that. We love Evergreen Golf Call, a terrific partner. Start your search and learn all about them at evergreengk.com because they're everything wealth. Unfiltered. Bob, couple fakes, steps away from pressure, going deep down the field for a neck hit. He caught it, is he in? He is! Touchdown, Seattle! Blitz coming, picked up, Purdy sets, launch, has Samuel wide open! 
I thought Drew, Drew did an excellent job in this game. Uh, as you, you can expect going into a game like this, you're going to come out after, you're going to say there's three or four plays or two or three plays that you wish it wouldn't happen the way they did. Well, another game versus the Niners, another lopsided win for San Francisco, leaving the Seahawks and Seahawks fans with more questions than answers. It's Seahawks no table time, taco time Northwest. The corn chowder is back. The corn chowder is back for a limited time. I have to hold the individual record for most consumed, but that's another story for another day. Brady Henderson is in Santa Clara for ESPN, and Brian Nemhauser is at home scratching his head. Brady, you were there, so I guess I should ask you why they lost, right? Well, they lost because their defense is a complete mess right now, and that was clear from the opening drive where uh, the 49ers ripped off a 72-yard run on the very first play from scrimmage. And I think um, I, I don't know where to fit this in the whole grand scheme of, of what's going wrong with their defense and, and what's going wrong with the organization in general. But you know, Pete Carroll was pretty adamant after the game, and one reason why he was so miffed at is yeah how poorly their defense played was he said that this it was everything that they practiced this week and that they emphasized this week and it wasn't like San Francisco was throwing new things at them they ran everything the Seahawks practiced and they just couldn't stop it I mean the the toss play is one of the staples of the 49ers offense the you know the Debo Samuel deep crosser is something that he does a lot of and and they just routinely got beat by things that they were ready for. So I don't know exactly where to place that, but I do know that they lost this game. It wasn't because of Drew Locke. Um, you know, he, he threw two interceptions. One was on a, you know, where he got hit. Not really his fault. I thought he gave him a chance, but their defense, again, did not give them a chance. And yet, Brian, after the first series, do they have two three and outs right after the first defensive series? And you thought maybe the defense was going to get a little traction? On the day they did. And in fact, I was kind of looking at that after the first series, which hundred uh, percent agree with Brady, just, uh, you know, as bad as a start as you can have 49ers go punt, punt, interception, right. touchdown, right. punt, punt. So it didn't start off that the, the defense was so bad. And I think you also have to acknowledge Devin Witherspoon is the best player on the whole team as far as I'm concerned. And losing him early, I, I think that mattered. I think there was a lot of plays where you were having Jamal Adams try to do a blitz that would have been Devin Witherspoon. And Jamal Adams, we'll talk about that more, is no Devin Witherspoon. So, uh, you know, I, I don't have that same read. Yes, they were not good enough. They gave up a ton of yards. I don't think 28 points to this 49ers team is anything to be, you know, killing yourself about uh, in, in general. But still, Brian... Over 500 yards of offense, and we thought, you and I have talked about this for weeks, we thought at this point of the season with all these young players, these new players, going back to the, the 11 sacks against the Giants or whatever it was, there was some real momentum about this defense. They went out and they added an all-pro quality or a Pro Bowl quality defensive lineman. And you had to figure that they were going to be a lot better defensively as a unit at this stage of the season, is it the safeties? Is it the linebackers? Are these guys not as good individually as we thought? Is it the scheme? Is it the system? What the hell is it? You bring up Leonard Williams, and I think it's interesting. He had an excellent game against the 49ers. I think that where I have to start on this, at least for this game, 
was the safety play. I mean, Jamal Adams and Quandre Diggs, I think they're still looking for a tackle. Um, I made a tweet with under two minutes to go. I thought Quandre Diggs had maybe his first tackle of the day. And it didn't turn out to truly be that. But he's taken bad angles. Guys, safeties are on the field. Tell me if I'm wrong. Safeties are on the field to stop plays from continuing. Like, that's the whole point of the position. And you just see time and time again, players running around, they're looking for somebody to hit them and there's nobody there. So, so like the safety play I thought was atrocious. Julian Love is an exception. I thought he got beat on one play. That will happen. So you, you got to dig him there. But he had two tur- turnovers. I thought he played an okay game overall. Yeah. Quandre Diggs and Jamal Adams, they are going to be over $20 million in cap per player next year. They're going to have to eat the dead money on those players and take the cap savings. I don't think either one of those players can be on this roster next year. Yeah, and you mentioned the the play where Julian Love got beat uh, for the touchdown by Kittle. That was one play that Carroll cited as an example of them not executing plays in situations that they prepared for. That was a second and nine play. And Carroll made the point that you know they went over this week how the tendencies show that San Francisco almost never runs the ball on second and nine, and yet the entire second level of their defense Defense bites uh, second and third level bites on that play fake and uh, Julian Love is just in catch up mode the whole time there and he even held uh, George Kittle on Kittle's way by him and Kittle still gets by him and scores the touchdown so um, uh, yeah I think Love was not necessarily the problem in this game he, he was probably a net positive with the two takeaways that he forced but the safety play is was by and large really bad and this that's the highest paid safety group in the NFL mm. uh, according to overthecap.com and the result are just not there. And, and Brian mentioned looking ahead to next year. I mean, Jamal Adams has a 20, I think $7 million cap charge uh, between his play. Well, mostly his play, but also just the off the field stuff. There is a 0.0% chance that he is back next season, at least on that contract. Brian, I know you want to jump in, but before you do, let me just ask a follow-up to, to Brady. It seems like there are certain guys on this team that become fan favorites that get a pass. Quandre Diggs. Mm. to me, is one of those guys. Has he gotten a pass the last year, year and a half? You know, I don't think that he has been, uh, up until this game, I don't think that he has been that bad. I mean, his job, first and foremost, is to take away seam routes and post routes. And by and large, this defense, for all its issues, it's not like they've been getting deep over the top in the middle of the field routinely. So he has been doing that part of his job, but the tackling has been spotty. There hasn't been the big plays. You know, he, he's got this streak of, I think, uh, consecutive seasons with at least three interceptions. I think he's only got one this year. So um, the tackling has been spotty like it kind of was last season, and there's just not the big plays uh, that you come to mix, expect from him and that you would expect from a safety group that's getting paid like these guys are. Yeah, all, all I was going to jump in with before, Four, as, as you mentioned, the second down and long, it was third and 11 when Jamal Adams got beat for the touchdown to Debo Samuel. Like these weren't even necessarily, you know, uh, tough plays. These are you should have such an advantage on third and long. It felt often with the 49ers that third and eight was like third and one. You just were waiting for that play to get converted. And, and that's that's not a good position to be yeah, in, to state yeah. the obvious. And I'll go one step further with you on not getting beaten over the top, like Brady says. One of the reasons they don't ever get beaten over the top or very rarely get beaten over the top until Sunday is because they give you they give you the mm-hmm. eight or how many times do I have to watch them get middled? We talk about this every single week. They give 
opposing offenses the middle of the field, eight yards from the line of scrimmage. You can middle them to death all the way down the field. And of course, you become flabbergasted because the Seahawks offensively don't go take the middle of the field. So it's one versus the other. And that's exactly what this 49ers offense does. And it's if you look at uh, Brock Curdy's heat map, I think we talked about this on Thursday. That's where he likes to go. That's sort of where Shanahan's offense likes to go in general. And, you know, going back to the idea of this defense not being all that aggressive in terms of how they cover, I mean, you would sort of expect a defense with the cornerbacks that this team has that, you know, that typically allows a defense to be more aggressive in the way that they play and the way that they use their coverages. But um, I agree with you. It seems like a, a lot of underneath stuff is sort of just conceded uh, with the end goal of being, you know, not giving up the big play. But that doesn't really do you a whole lot of good if teams like the 49ers are just going to dink and dunk their way to the end zone. I'm a little surprised that you guys are so on the defense here. I, I get it. But I mean, even the middle piece, the way this, this game started, it was George Kittle getting lit up over the middle. It was Brandon Ayuk getting lit up over the middle. They had made adjustments. And like I said, they they had the first series and then it was punt, 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 interception. Like, you know, there's a lot of punting in this game. The offense scored 16 points. I, I, I think there was more points to be had in this game. I think they came out with with actually some vigor and some aggression. And then they turtled for a lot of this game. And I think that's a much bigger story in my mind was well, Shane Waldron and how he, I think, just really became scared of his own shadow once this became a tight game. Well, it's just so hard, at least for me. I, I can't speak for Brady to criticize the offense when you consider the circumstances. I mean, they're in San Francisco. They're against the best or one of the best defenses in the NFL. And they've got their backup quarterback in there who had one day of practice. Yeah, yeah. I, no, you're never going to get an argument from me about Waldron and his scheme and his play call. You know that, Brian. You're never going to. But it's hard on a, a, the hours after a game like that to say, oh, the offense cost him the game when the defense was there until Witherspoon got hurt. True. The defense was it. You got to count on the defense to be able to to be able to hold them under 500 yards of total offense, and they just sure. weren't able to get off the. Well, you're right. They did get off the field. So Brady, respond to what Brian said there. Well, yeah, I think he's got a point, especially in the sense that you know this is like you said, this is one of the best defenses in the NFL. But the Seahawks sort of caught them at a good time. Um, not that there's ever a good time to have to start a backup quarterback, but they didn't have Eric Armstead, one of their best defensive players, uh, the stud defensive tackle. They lost. Uh, Charverius Ward, their best cornerback in the first uh, half of the game. And then they lost Javon Hargrave, who was the defensive tackle that they paid a whole lot of money to get uh, this offseason. Now, interestingly, sort of it seems like the Seahawks offense kind of went south once Ward went out of the game. And what mm -hmm. happened, right. according to, to Drew Locke, and um, I think some other players talked about this as well, was that you know they were playing a lot of man because they were having Ward follow Metcalf the way that he did in the um, in the first game, or, or I, I don't know that because I haven't went back and watched it yet. But it, it sounds like they were playing a lot of man, and then when Ward went out, they switched to zone with with two high safeties, and that sort of took away some of the deep stuff. Um, and that it actually may have, you know, in a weird way, sort of but the Brian, tables may have turned towards San Francisco. But Brian's yeah. point is that uh, the Seahawks let him off the hook. The Se Seahawks, and you go back and to Brian's point. You go back to the first play of the second possession. So the Seahawks have scored a touchdown to tie it 7-7 to DK Metcalf. Then they hold the 49ers to a three and out. They get the ball back. And I think it was the first play of that next possession where Fox shows us this picture, this video, 
of DK Metcalf beating his guy down the field on a go route. You put the ball up. Go back and look at that. They showed that replay about a half dozen times. You put the ball up. You go for it there. You might have a touchdown to DK Metcalf on the first play of the second possession. But to your point, Brian, the offense and the play calling seemed to let him off the hook. And don't get me started on being repetitive. How many times do they have to have second and five and second and four and second and six and they uh, run the ball for minus yep. two or minus three? How many times do they have to do that before they realize the 49ers are selling out on the run on second and five and second and four and second and six? It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. It's so often that the announcers in these games just are spewing total nonsense, and it's totally wrong. In this ha- in this case, Greg Olson was absolutely correct that every time it was second and mid, they were running the ball. And 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 not only that, but to to, to what Brady was saying, if it's if if it's as easy to stop the Seahawks offense is all you have to do is switch from man to too deep, or like or too deep to man, and like then Shane Waldron is flummoxed. He has no answer if you change your defensive scheme. And lose what your best heck? cornerback. And, uh, and you lose yeah. your best quarterback and your best interior, both your best interior rushers. Like, yeah. come on. And, and DK Metcalf and, and Jackson Smith and Jigba are advantages, and they showed themselves to be advantages in that first series. And then there was no targets for DK for like two quarters. You cannot tell me either as a play caller or as a quarterback that that's an acceptable outcome. Brady, let's go back to the pregame story. Gino warms up before the game and he's a no-go. Would he have been a no-go if it were a playoff game? Or did they punt it? Did they punt the game thinking, ah, we're probably on the losing end of this game regardless. Let's get him healthy for Monday night at home against Philadelphia. Yeah, I mean, we we sort of heard both of those things from Pete Carroll. And at one point he said, you know, having the long break or the extra day, I should say, before the next Monday night game against Philadelphia and wanting to give him, you know, the best chance of being able to play in that game was part of the thinking. But then he sort of stopped himself and he said, no, Gino couldn't play in this game. And, And look, I think. It's one thing to play against a normal defense when, you know, you can maybe sit back and, and throw the ball and not have to worry about this great pass rush. But like for him to be effective in this game, he was going to have to be able to use his legs. And, you know, the word was that he just really couldn't push off in one direction because of the groin injury. And so, I mean, I understand the situation of not wanting to put him uh, in a situation where he just couldn't really protect himself and couldn't really move around. So. Could he been able to play? I mean, I, it sounds like he could throw. He just can't really move around the way he needs to and the way he probably especially needed to against this kind of defense. Any guess, Brady, on whether Witherspoon would be ready for Monday night? Yeah, I mean, Carroll said that both of those guys are going to be game-time decisions. They're going to take it day-by-day day with them. And again, he said that the extra day is going to help them, but there was really no way of telling uh, as of post-game Sunday what, what kind of chances they're going to have to be able to play. Brian Nemhauser, Hawk blogger, did... Uh Drew Locke show you a little bit more than you thought he'd show you on Sunday? He did. He did. <laughs> I have to admit something. I, I was a little bit uh, conflicted heading into this game because once I found out Drew Locke was playing, I, I'm I'm all in on the fact that Drew Locke 
is not the quarterback of the future for the Seahawks. I think it's crazy that he's even on this roster that they paid him. I think it is crazy that there are fans out there that will argue tooth and nail that this guy is a great player and just give him a chance when he's done absolutely nothing for this team ever. And so when he he came into this game, I was like, oh my gosh, now if he plays well, we're gonna have to hear about this and that could be terrible for this team. And then the game started and he did play well. And I was like, this is kind of fun. Actually, I'm a Seahawks fan. I'm going to cheer. But the, the fact of the matter is, the way I describe Drew Locke today is he played a good game for a backup NFL quarterback. That's what I would describe. He played a good game for a backup NFL quarterback. He did not play a good game for a starting NFL quarterback. And I don't want to hear a single thing about, oh, he only had one day to practice. He He's had... Like every other backup that's ever come in, he's had the entire season, the entire offseason to prepare, to understand the plays, to understand the players. And there's been plenty of backup quarterbacks that come in with zero prep and absolutely show out why they should be getting more snaps. So I really don't want to hear that. But I thought for the most part, I thought Drew Locke played a pretty good game. I don't think anybody's ever going to confuse Drew Locke for a Mensa member. I don't think he's the smartest guy in the world. I'll be totally honest. I don't think he makes the best decisions. I don't think he's that accurate. And when it push came to shove, he made enough mistakes that, you know, the team wasn't able to to take advantage. The one thing that I think Drew Locke does better than Geno Smith is that he, he's a younger guy and he's got more athleticism. And not that mm-hmm. Geno is, is slow-footed, but, you know, you see the athleticism there and, and getting out of, uh, you know, sticky situations in the pocket, throwing on the run. I think that's one thing that he does well. And, and you know, going back to the question of would Geno Smith have played if this were a playoff game? I mean, I thought about it a little bit more, and I think the answer is no. And I think this is kind of reminds me the decision they made kind of reminds me of that f- game at the end of the 2010 regular season when it was up in the air as to whether or not Matt Hasselbeck would play. Seahawks ended up starting Charlie Whitehurst because Hasselbeck's mobility was severely limited because of that glute injury. And Carroll wanted a guy who could move around and escape pressure against a really good Rams pass rush. And I think that was kind of the same thinking in this game. And, and that is, again, that's one thing that Locke does pretty well for all his other faults. He can move pretty well, and he showed that on Sunday. Brian, do we want to discuss the ejections and fighting at the end, or is there no reason to to hash it out? I guess the, the, the two things I'll say quickly there is, one, it just reflects badly on Seahawks, the team and the, and the fans in general, that this is such an issue. We got our butts beat. You take it and you move on. And bullies, the winners, the winners get to be bullies. The Seahawks, when they were the winners, they bullied and they did whatever. And you just, whatever. Like, I think Fred Warner clearly started with a cheap shot. The announcers were absolutely ludicrous in not understanding or choosing not to understand what had happened. And DK, I thought for the most part, I mean, he didn't handle it wonderfully, but I thought it was a very reasonable Reaction. response yeah. r- relative to what Warner did. Yep. And you can move on. Like that that's I think that's as much as I have to say about it. Brady? Yeah, I mean, it, it was an illegal tackle and you saw the official start to throw the flag even before the whole skirmish uh, in the melee took place. I mean, he was throwing a flag because Metcalf body slammed the guy and you can't do that. Now, Metcalf wasn't doing that out of frustration. You know, he doesn't see that Warner has the ball. I mean, he's behind Warner in that situation trying to get him down. He didn't see that Warner had flipped the ball to another 49ers teammate. So Metcalf is throwing him down thinking he's tackling a ball carrier. And then when Warner hits him in the back of the head, uh, DK started retaliating to that. So I, 
I don't think this was quite the same situation as you know the end of a frustrating day for Metcalf and he's just trying to take it out on an opponent because the Seahawks are getting their butts kissed. I think he was somewhat justified in being angry, but that said, you know he he deserved to be ejected. I don't know that I want to spend too much time on it, but uh, I tweeted out and I'll ring the bell on me. I'm sure we could talk about it on Thursday uh, for Friday's uh, patron show. It just feels like change is needed. That mm. things are stale here. They've been stale for years. It may not be a topic that Brady Henderson is exactly comfortable in his role at ESPN.com uh, commenting about. I don't want to speak for you, Brady, but Brian. Fire away. Let's go. Brian, um, it's just, it, it's the same old thing. It's Groundhog Day over and over and over again. One week we're talking about the offense. The next week we're talking about the defense. One weekend we're talking about the offensive coordinator. The next weekend we're talking about the defensive coordinator. And the end result is they're in this quicksand of mediocrity where they're around 500 and struggling to get in as the last wild card every year. At what point do you think Jody Allen, not that any of us know Jody Allen, decide, you know, let's try something new. Let's honor the man for what he's accomplished, but let's get a clean slate and try a new look. It's absolutely time. It's absolutely time. I, I, I've been a huge supporter of Pete Carroll. I will never say anything negative in terms of this is a guy that brought the first and only championship to uh, this, the, the Seahawks. It's time. It, 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 that has to happen. It, it, there, there's just even if you get worse, the fact of the matter is there needs to be a change. You need to refresh. And honestly, the change that I believe needs to happen is this team needs a new owner. And, you know, you, you don't get to fire owners. But I, I think Jody Allen, as much as I appreciate that she hasn't sold the team to someone that doesn't really care. I don't think that this is like her passion. And I don't think it's when Paul Allen owned this team, I believe he put enough of the scrutiny on the people that were running the football operations that I don't believe Jody Allen is. And so I think they need someone who is a more involved owner. And I don't say that very often, but I would say it here. So I think this team needs not just a new coach, new president of football operations. I think they need a new owner. And I will say Brady, that it, it, it certainly has felt for years, to me anyway, that there is a guy, he happens to be the wealthiest guy or one of the wealthiest guys in the world, that's been sitting in the, in the background waiting for the day that the Seattle Seahawks are for sale. He kind of flirted with the Washington Commanders, but that's not the team that he's always wanted. I believe the day that the Seahawks become available for sale, that Jeffrey Bezos will be right in the middle of the action and probably the next owner of the Seattle Seahawks. But what are your thoughts on what Brian said? Oh, I thought you were talking about Elon Musk that whole time. Before no, I you wasn't. Mentioned it. No, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. No. I'm kidding. Well, uh, just going back to Brian's point, I mean, Jody Allen has said, she hasn't said a whole lot since she took over the ownership role after Paul Allen died in 2018. But one of the things she has said via a, a statement from the team is that she does plan on, on selling the team eventually. Now, she put that out, I think, a year or so ago to make the point that they were not for sale at the time. Now, remember the the sort of technical point in all of this, this May, this coming May of 2024 is an important date in all of that because there's a, a basically a cutoff point. They were to be sold. This is according to the agreement that Paul Allen had uh, when he bought the team in the late 90s. There, there's a point in, in that deadline is this coming May where if this team were to be sold before May of 2024, then the sellers, the Allens, would have had to pay back 10% of the sale price 
to King County. So do the math there. If they're, you know, based on what other teams have gone for, if the Seahawks were sold for $4.5 billion, that's $450 million that the Allens would have had to pay back to King County. So there was no way that they were going to be sold before this coming May. But right. it does become a, I think, legitimate, you know, it's going to happen eventually. They've said that. And I think it, it does start to become uh, something that you've got to keep your eye out for uh, after this May. So there hasn't been any sort of, you know, whispers that they're getting ready to do it, but it does become more realistic. And I think at that point, probably becomes up until that point. I just don't know if they are going, if she is going to want to make a change at head coach, if she is planning on selling the team, let's also get this straight. They could have any one of us at head coach and they would still sell for, you know, $4.5 billion. But I do wonder if that's going to be a factor. Now, the other thing in this that we have to acknowledge is, you know, it's one thing to say, okay, are they going to move on from this player? Like when we can see clearly they're not getting their money's worth out of that player. Or when I speculate on something like that, you know, a lot of times that speculation is informed by, you know, insight that I might have. Nobody has any sort of insight on what Jody Allen is thinking. Nobody, nobody has a, a source there telling them that. So at the end of the day, I mean, a lot of this is speculation, but this question is the purest form of speculation because not only does nobody know Jody Allen, you know, there's not a long history of decision making. Uh, it's not like she's commenting, you know, every week like Jerry Jones is. It's she has not done a single interview since she took over the job in 2018, and so we have next to no information, maybe even zero information, uh, on how she operates and how she thinks. And so I just think it's worth pointing that out that when we talk about this, whether or not they're going to make a big change at coach, like we are talking about that based on zero knowledge of how she works. I uh, just. Re- Real quick, I love all that additional information, Brady. I just as a fan, how much more exciting would it be to have Jeff Bezos as an owner? Whatever you feel about Jeff Bezos, but you know he's built multiple businesses. You know how much money he has. You know how much analytics he's going to apply. And then someone like Dan Lanning or you have a Ryan Grubb as OC. Like there's guys, those are all local guys. But I would be significantly more excited about the notion of someone fresh and new and an owner that was that bought in and that well footed. That would feel like, okay, now we're starting. And what we have now just feels like playing out the string. Brian Nemhauser and Brady Henderson. Brady Henderson, ESPN.com, Seahawks Insider in Santa Clara. Thank you, Brady. Thank you. And by the way, you know, Mitch Levy, he's the best offensive coordinator that he knows. So maybe he throws his name in, in the hat for that job if it becomes I would love available. to see it. I'd love to see it. You joke, <laughs> but I don't. Brian Nemhauser, Hawk Blogger. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Mitch. Hey, look who it is. It's Lindsey Schwartz of Daniel's Broiler. I got to tell you. While my family was loving Thanksgiving at the downtown location, Lindsay's family was experiencing the Les Shy remodel after a couple of months. How'd it come out, Lindsay? Hey, Mitch. Happy holidays. Uh, it came out great. We had a great time. The space looks beautiful. The views are even better. There's more windows, bigger windows. We kind of rearranged the room and the furniture to take better advantage of the views. It's awesome. Uh, you got to check it out. You're going to love it. Yeah, we've already made plans. The Levy family has to check out the new remodel at Leshy, the original Daniels Broiler. Now, Daniels starts with a D. December starts with a D. 
There's nothing quite like Daniels during the holidays, Lindsay. It's true. I mean, we talk about how we're great for celebrations all year long, but December is such a great month for celebrating. And all four locations have something unique about them during the holidays. Leshi that we just talked about, you can see the Christmas ships on certain nights. The Lake Union location, you can also see the Christmas ships. Bellevue's the gorgeous views. Downtown Bellevue's all lit up. You can do the winter wonderland, the Snowflake Lane next door. And downtown Seattle's looking good right now. It's all decorated for the holidays. So it just feels festive at all the locations and a great place to celebrate for sure. And if your office is looking for a spot for private parties, Daniel's Broiler offers the best opportunity. We love Daniel's Broiler at Mitch Unfiltered. Obviously, world-class steakhouses. Hey, it's time for a visit with Zeke's president, Dan Black. And Dan, there's an obvious first question here. Does your son, Hank, fully comprehend that he could have been at a national championship contender and Heisman frontrunner had he stayed at home instead of being a traitor and going off to Austin, Texas? Does he understand this? <laughs> You're hitting on one of my favorite subjects right now, Mitch. <laughs> this, is a, this is good family uh, trash talk going on right now. Yeah, he does realize it now. He loves being a Longhorn, as you know, Austin's pretty fun. You were just down there, but and and he's a proud Longhorn, but he he's he's a true blue Husky too. And so you know, he was twisted up last year when we beat him in the Alamo Bowl, and now of course he's loving what the Huskies are doing, and sure. Longhorns are having a great season too. But yeah, let's put it this way: the the Huskies and the family trash talk the uh, Longhorn. Funny. <laughs> Speaking of football season, last time you were on, you told us about a football promotion that you're doing at all the Zeeks. First of all, how's it going? And second of all, how about reviewing how we can participate? Yeah, no, it's going great. Pigskin 10 is super popular. People are using it. Um, and just to refresh what the deal is, is if you use the code pigskin10, you get $10 off your order. Pretty simple. The order needs to be $40 or more before the discount. So $30 after the discount. Right. Uh, but the cool thing is you can use it as many times as you want during the season. There's a limit once per day, but you can use it as much as you want. And so use it whenever you're watching a game, watching the Hawks, the Huskies, whoever. We're getting a lot of orders with it so it's popular so it's thursdays saturday sundays mondays is that right yep what we call it football days so thursday night football of course college games on saturday nfl on sunday uh and monday night football so yeah Beautiful. football days good and, good reminder and the code is pigskin 10 for ten dollars off of all orders and it's the fall and football season so do me a favor before you go highlight one of zeke's specialty beers that stands tall this time of year on that incredible menu of selections yeah no it's it's fresh hop season right now in the fall that coordinates well with football season and fresh hop means that they take the hops right off the vine put it right into the kettle and so you get really a nice fresh hop feel Mm -hmm. so we got two of them single hill lateral a fresh hop and uh varietals everything is blossom fresh hop so those those are the recommended beers right now that's awesome zeke's pizza from seattle all the way to boise homegrown in the northwest unfiltered Montreal returned for the 1919 final when tragedy struck. In a time like today, mired in a pandemic, five Canadians fell ill. Sadly, Hall of Famer Joe Hall succumbed. Montreal graciously offered us the cup. We declined. That was not the Metropolitan's way, not Muldoon's way. Our next guest on this episode 266 of Mitch Unfiltered is making his, I think, third Third. Third appearance on Mitch Unfiltered. I'm going to have to send him a check after all these appearances. <laughs> he's a he's a former University of Washington All-Conference baseball player. 
He's a coach. He's a friend. And you'll recall, he authored the book, When It Mattered Most, that story, that riveting story about the 1917 Stanley Cup champion Seattle Metropolitans. Well, edition two just came out, ladies and gentlemen, with six new chapters, I think, taking us through 1919. Here he is, Kevin Tyson. How are you, Kevin? Doing great. Thanks for having me on. Hey, hey, thanks for being back on. Explain to me this. We started with when it mattered most through 1917, and now we get six new chapters. Explain, please. When I first started writing the book, I thought it would be interesting to go through 1919, and you look at it. And, you know, that Stanley Cup final ends in a tie. I can't write a book that ends in a tie. Nobody's going <laughs> to understand it. Uh, nobody's going to understand a global pandemic, any of those things. And so I just ended it with 1917. I was excited about that. And then obviously COVID hit and everybody asked me about, you know, what happened with the 1919 final, with that season, yep. with all those things. And so I went back and I started writing uh, some essays for History Link about it. And as I really started getting into the research, it's incredible. I mean, it really is incredible what happens. And so I went back and, and kept writing. Yeah, in a lot of ways, uh, 1919 is even more interesting than 1917, although you say you never want to end a book on a tie. So let's go through it. We know they win it in 1917. Yep. Then 1918 is a weird year because everybody disperses, right? A lot, yeah. of, a lot of the guys go off to war. The coach goes off to, I don't know, Portland. Portland. Yeah. Yep. They have a bad year. I think Toronto beats Vancouver in 1918. Correct. And it's just a throwaway year for the Seattle Metropolitans. And then 1919 hits. Obviously, the armistice is signed on November 11th. And there's a, a work or fight policy in America where you either have to have something to do with the war effort or you have to fight. So professional sports get completely shut down. Baseball season's truncated. You know, all the Canadians, there's a draft for Canada and America and all these guys are off fighting in war, right? And then the armistice is signed and it's a mad scramble to get everybody back here and signed and they get their full team back with the exception of one guy. So Jim Riley's company is stationed in England and he doesn't come back and so he misses the year. But other than that, Muldoon's back coaching the Metropolitans and they have the full team and it's a really good year for them. Yeah. Uh, they end up, you know, in another dogfight with Vancouver. And it's just super interesting as all of this is playing out, the the Spanish flu, right? It starts in, in Haskell County, Kansas in the spring of 1918. It goes over to Europe. It comes back. It lands in Boston. The World Series is in Boston that year, right? So you have a big outbreak there. And then it slowly starts to spread west. It's super interesting. So it actually lands in Seattle the same weekend of the Puyallup Fair. Really? Our biggest outdoor sort of festival, even back then. Yeah. And, and this thing hits. We get to the 1919 Stanley Cup final. You said Seattle's got everybody but one guy back from that 1917 team. Does Montreal right. have everyone back? Pretty much the same squad, or is it a different squad? They have all but three guys back, okay. and they replace them with three all-stars, oh. right? So they're the Yankees. They just... They were overwhelming yeah. favorites in 1917, and they're overwhelming favorites in 1919. And we've got a hell of a series on our hands. It goes going into game six, it's 2-2-1. One of the games end in a tie. They did yeah. not, I guess they didn't have any kind of a tiebreaker in those days. They did. They screwed it up. I mean, it's really? really an incredible thing. Yeah. So, again, it's you have East Coast rules, West Coast rules. And so games one, three, and five are played by West Coast rules, two and four by East Coast rules, right? Okay. And so okay. the Metropolitans pound the Canadians in the West Coast rules. So it's something like 14 to one. So then game two, they lose. 
And then game four is the second East Coast rule game, right? And so it starts, we actually score a goal at the end of the first period. And, and it's like straight out of forget Paris, like Billy Crystal comes in and waves <laughs> it off, right? And says that time had run out by a, a millisecond. And there's no oh. like, you know, there's no lights above the goal. There's oh. no like scoreboard or anything like that. And he out. waves it off yeah. and says it didn't count. And so this game goes zero zero. Guys are starting to fall down and pass out and collapse and all those things at the at the end of the game. And so they have a ten minute overtime period that goes all the way through. Again, guys stay on their feet the second the whistle blows. Like twelve guys collapse on the ice. They do wow. a second overtime period. Exact same thing happens. Right? Nobody scores. And then there's this huge argument, and the Canadians coach says, you know, East Coast rules say after two overtimes it's a tie. They have this big, huge fight on the ice. They send a courier out to the hotel where the Canadians are staying to get the rule book, bring it back, realize, okay, that's what the rules say. They didn't actually check to see if it said regular season versus postseason, right? So they call the game off, and then there's a huge fight the next day about, okay, so what do we do? And the the NHL commissioner sends a a cable and says, no, you guys screwed these rules up. You should have played in a postseason game to completion. All right, so that's game four. So that ends up in a tie. Yeah. So who wins game five? Game five is replayed by Eastern rules. So that's decision that gets made out of this big fight the next day. And the Metropolitans go up by three goals. This game is over. The Canadians haven't scored more than two goals in a period the entire series. And, you know, the Canadians are a team of stars, right? Stars did what stars do. And they scored three goals and they tied it. And, yeah, and I mean, then the last goal is epic. I mean, even like the Seattle fans gave the New Zealand alone a standing ovation after this happens. And, you know, it goes to overtime again. Oh, my right? God. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you have a bunch of guys that are really injured at this point playing through it. And uh, I mean, it's it's just crazy what happens. It's like the Metropolitan star player, Frank Voiston, gets re-injured. One of the Metropolitans, their their best score is sitting in a jail cell at Fort Lewis, which is an incredible thread throughout the entire book. He gets arrested the day that the, the playoffs begin for draft evasion by the U.S. Oh military. He's a Canadian citizen. You have another guy that's like uh, Coley Wilson, who's about to pass out. And then Jack Walker, one of the other Hall of Famers, breaks a skate. Right. And it's not like back then they had extra skates just sitting there. And so they get him off the ice. They're trying to fix it. They're trying to do whatever they can. Coley Wilson goes down. Frank Voiston can't play. So their two Hall of Famers are injured on the bench and the Canadians send their sub in and he scores. And they don't care, though, because there's one more game. But it's it's now two, two and one. Yep, it's two, two and one. Canadians take what would have been game five. So now they're about to play game six. Yeah. And we're giving away a lot of the book. But uh, you, you'll get the book and you'll read a lot more detail than we're giving you yeah. right here. But they're about to play. I mean, literally, it's hours before they drop the puck for game six when yeah. it gets washed away. At first, we're just thinking that all these guys are collapsing because of exhaustion from two overtime games. And it's not. No. Canadians have the Spanish flu and the health department sweeps in and closes the arena and you know, shuts the series down. And so then they don't know what to do. They're going to try to decide if they're going to move the series, you know, and then the Canadians try to forfeit. They, they're they the ones that can't put a, a team on the ice. And you got to stop right there, Kevin, because the limited knowledge that I have in this, one of the great acts of sportsmanship, unless I'm missing something in the, his, in the history of sports, here are it two, te- here are two teams that have been fighting one another, both on and off the ice. Now Montreal can't field a team, and they're ready to forfeit the Stanley Cup to Seattle. And Pete Muldoon, 
the coach of uh, the Metropolitan says, no, we won't accept a forfeited yeah. Stanley Cup. And instead, there is no Stanley Cup from 1919. Yeah, I mean, that's what happened. Then they actually offer to bring in amateurs to fill the team. And Muldoon and Frank Patrick say, no, that's no, not fair. Not the spirit yeah. of the of the cup. Wow. Yeah. In the meantime, just to get an idea, guys are dying. One star Montreal player, didn't he die in a hospital here in Seattle of the flu? He does. Yeah. Yep. So the first guy to get it ends up dying. And he's a Hall of Famer. It's really tragic. You know, he's got a wife. He's got a couple of kids. And they're oh, trying God. to get his family here as quickly as they can. And they're en route on the train when he dies. Two of the other Canadians are deathly ill, too. They're not sure if they're going to make it. And Muldoon, each day a new guy comes wow. down with it. And it's funny, like, they were sharing a water pail. Now we all have water bottles. Everyone's got their own thing. They were just sharing a water pail that, that both teams split. Incredible. So is this it now? Are these the last six chapters? Or are you coming back in three years? Are you going to the 2020? Didn't they get to the 2020 Stanley Cup final and lose to Ottawa? Do I expect two more chapters in addition three or no? It's actually in there. That's oh, it's in, in there. there. Okay. Yep. Right. okay. So that's the epilogue. Okay. So. All right. That's it then. We're done. Tyson is done with when yep. it mattered most. He's putting it done. away. But putting yep. it away. It's a fascinating story. It's called When It Mattered Most. This is edition two. And he's got six new chapters if you read the first edition. The story also resonates with you, Kevin, just because you saw a little of yourself and many of the main characters. You've had your own, as we all have, roller coaster ride. Tell us how you were able to see yourself in some of these characters. Yeah, I mean, that's the reason that I wanted to do all this. Their story resonated with me, you know, especially Bernie Morris. So he's the star player that gets arrested. I was, certainly wasn't arrested for draft evasion, but I was a baseball player at the University of Washington. And I like that version of the story. But the true version of the story is I was cut as a freshman. Uh, I spent two years as a regular student there. Uh, didn't want to transfer, didn't want to leave uh, school academically. Made the team my third year as the basically the bullpen catcher. We won the Pac-10 championship. And I like to joke, I led the nation in hitting and slugging that year. I went one for one with a double. In 56 <laughs> games, I got one at bat. You know, And the next year, uh, we won the conference championship again, and I was a part-time starter. And I was the guy that basically would get brought into – pinch hit in the ninth inning, right? It was something I was good at. And uh, I could always just handle my heart rate in situations like that. And then the next year I came back on scholarship. I was a captain and finished one home run short of setting a single season record and signed. Right. And so, you know, all these guys have been dead for 50 years. All these books that come out, you know, the the people are alive, right? That they can, you can interview them. You can ask them questions. You can ask them emotionally how they handled situations. And I wasn't able to do any of that. So luckily for me, I had these experiences. I could draw from them and I could talk about what it feels like, you know, going into the locker room on on the day of a big game. I could tell, you know, from a coaching perspective, what Muldoon was trying to do and how he molded the team. And, you know, it was a cathartic experience for me to be able to do that. Was it? Yeah, Yeah. for sure. Yeah. You know, and then like the second part, and I know you and I have talked about this, right? So then I go back and I'm coaching at the UW and get sick, 32 years old diagnosed with stage two rectal cancer and you know my kids were four and a half two and a half and three months old when this all goes down and and it was a bad situation for me again you just draw from that right i I just emotionally knew what guys were going through and, and hopefully added context to their stories Cancer, in a lot of ways, ended your coaching career. Yeah, it did. I mean, it's like it, it happened when we had a coaching transition, and as new coaches do, they want their own guys in there, and and it was the wrong time for me to get sick. You know, the season ends, he wants his own guy, I'm out, and no one's going to hire a 32-year-old with three kids under five and cancer. And so 
you know, and, and at that point I'm started coaching an 18 year old team, a summer team. And my original thought was, you know, I'll, I'll just do this and keep focused on getting better and improving and uh, hopefully get back into college baseball. And, you know, it, it hasn't happened, but I can't say that I'm disappointed at all either. I've had wonderful relationships, with a lot of really good players and going to see a lot of my guys go on and play professional baseball, play in the college world series, stay in their lives and, and support them and, and all those things. And being able to, to draw from those experiences to add context to this team that, in my opinion, is incredible. Super disappointing that they were lost to history, but that's the way that it goes. And, yeah. you know, one thing I'll add on that, too. So Royal Brome, I think I've, I've told you, was the you know 22-year-old official scorer for the Metropolitans. Yeah. And yeah. as he's getting older and frail and things like that, he starts writing articles about his life and you know his favorite memories and things like that and he talks a lot about the metropolitans and there's actually one in the mid 70s that he wrote where he's lamenting that this was lost since it's the greatest 1919 the greatest series ever and you know it's really disappointing that the only footnote for it says series not completed it did it fell apart and i was happy to bring it back to life it seems to me that the way this went down with muldoon not accepting the forfeit and it being a tie, and the fact that they had won it two years earlier, so they have that one. Yeah, I kind of like this conclusion better than um, if they would have accepted the forfeit. I one hundred percent do. You do. I love, I love the arc of this book. It was cool before. It was the Hoosiers ending, right? It just like made you feel good and all of that. But this is the real ending, and I, I wrote that in there too. It's there are a lot of things that go into winning a championship besides just being the best team, you know? And I think sometimes as fans and as, you know, people on the outside, we get caught up in outcomes and we say like outcome X happened, they should have changed, you know, process Y. And that's not the reality of life. Yeah. A pandemic struck and it cost them a championship. Do you regret that you didn't include these chapters the first go around? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, regret might not be the right word, but this is the way the book should have been written. Had I had more experience, I would have done it this way from the start. And, you know, this is a parallel to my baseball career too, right? It's like, I wasn't ready the first time that I was playing at the UW and I got cut and I got the opportunity to really think hard about what I valued and where I wanted to go and do those things. And I luckily got another chance with this book. You know, I don't think that happens very often where you can come back and add to it and have it make sense. You know, we did, we talked through what happened in the series, but everybody else already knows that it was talked about a lot over the last couple of years, but you know, what happens in those two years is incredible. And what I love so much is I remember when you were on the first time and you told me, Mitch, I knew nothing about hockey. Yeah. I didn't have I didn't have an interest in the world and I didn't know one thing from the right zero yeah. you had zero you just took this on because you liked the story absolutely it's a book about a hockey team for sure but I didn't know any rules in hockey I didn't know anything it's it's a book about competing like I fell in love with this team because of the way they competed and so I was able to add a lot of context to that and yeah, I've learned hockey I love the crack and I'm having fun with them being here and and learning rules and things like that but yeah addition to of when it mattered most, the story of the Seattle Metropolitans now, 1917, 1918, 1919, and why it resonated so much with my friend Kevin Tyson. Kevin, great to have you. This is number three. Look forward to number four. I'm Mitch Unfiltered. Thanks for being back. <laughs> Thank you. 
It's J-Flow time, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Mitch Unfiltered. Jordan Flowers, the Woodenville Office of Cross Country Mortgage. How are you, J-Flow? <laughs> Price is right. Here we go. Oh, I'm great. You're doing all right. Tough times, big numbers, challenging rates. What can you tell us about buying and selling homes these days? You know, rates are high. It is a challenging market, but it is a good market for the buyers we're working with. They are not having to compete still. The rates are elevated, but they are getting homes at prices where they're not having to elevate. So it's a good time for buyers. And real estate is always a great investment during inflationary times to hedge against inflation. So yeah, still good time. And you were telling me before we started about Fannie Mae. Tell our listeners. Yeah. So they just came out about a week ago and uh, made it possible to buy three and four plex properties with 5% down. It used to be 25%. Now, if you're looking to buy a primary residence, as a three or a fourplex, you can put a minimum 5% down. And then the beauty is you can use the other two to three units that you're buying to use the rental income from those and use it as the income to qualify for purchasing that asset. So fourplexes, you can borrow up to one and a half million dollars now in this market. So 5% down on that and use the income from it to purchase it. So great opportunity. And for all of us who need some help, whether you're buying or selling or refinancing, we're going to call the Woodenville Office of Cross Country Mortgage because your team is the best. How do we reach you on your phone? You are calling me or texting me at 425-890-2957. And that's the direct line for Jordan Flowers, the Woodenville Office of Cross Country Mortgage. Great partners of Mitch Unfiltered. Where would we be without them? Unfiltered. Episode 266, the other stuff segment. Hotshot, do you want to go first or do you want to kick? Why don't I? Receive or kick? I'm going to defer. What do you want to do? I'll take the ball. Go. Other stuff segment. Michael Penix finishes second in the Heisman Trophy Award. Oh, he didn't win? He did not win. Jaden Daniels, the former Arizona State Sun Devil quarterback. Right. How how does that happen? (laughs) Wait. I think he didn't he thank Tony Dungy maybe or no not uh, Herm Herm Edwards yeah I heard him thank Herm Edwards yeah I was like, nobody thanks Herm, Herm Edwards, Edwards. <laughs> exactly his, his coach his wife never thanked him for anything for God's I was like sakes. why is he thanking him and uh, oh yeah he yeah, played Arizona three State. years crazy the man played three years at Arizona State and now he's the Heisman Trophy winner at LSU he had 503 first place votes by the way Michael Penix finishes second which is interesting because I'm not sure that he deserved to finish second really well. You tell me how much of the award is about what your team does and how much is it just individual accomplishment? What would you say? Like percentage-wise, what matters? I don't know. I I never felt like the Heisman was really about... The team. The team. Yeah. It's not like most valuable player. Like most valuable player in these leagues seems to be awarded to a guy who propels his team to great heights. Gotcha. Okay. I, and I may be wrong about this, but a lot of the Heisman, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. You think it's... If it was straight individual accomplishment, and I hate to say it, and, and I, you know, I, I'm pulling for Washington. Bo, Bo Nix had a better year than Michael Penix. Now, Michael Penix beat him twice. Yeah, I think that factors in. That, whether, if that factors in, fine. Yeah. But you look at statistics and you go game for game, and I love Michael Penix. Yeah. I love everything about Michael Penix. Did you see what he was wearing? When he had the names of the players he on the inside He had all of, of his coat. teammates yeah. on the inside of the coat, and the Heisman Trophy winner had himself on the inside yeah. of the coat. His coat. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. The LSU yeah. guy. By the way, Bo Nix, did you see him in the Husky game? I'm sure you talked about with the towel over his head at yeah. the end of the game. Yeah. And, but his team still had a chance to... 
They were still nah, in it. They were out. No, they were out of it. Well, I, the, I, I, I don't know. I, I I'm just, glad I, you brought that up. Are you still dreading that rematch? Or are you okay now with that? Do you want to play him again? No, what? not anymore. What did the Huskies I, win I, by? I wanted to. I wanted them to play him twice. I'm good. not three times. Oh my God. But are you okay now? Are you? Did you? Did you survive it? Yeah, but I. I definitely don't want to play him a third time <laughs> if we can afford. If we can. They'd beat him again. If they would. Yeah. It didn't feel like they it have their number when Oregon was coming back on them. They and can't handle the truth. Unbelievable. They can't. So I've got Michael Penix finishing second to Jaden Daniels, but Michael Penix will get the last laugh because he will play in the college football playoff and Jane Daniels will not. And Bo Nix will not. Let's see. Uh, Oregon's got its next quarterback. Have you noticed? Yeah. Is that right? The, the kid from Pullman that played at Pullman? No. The kid from Oklahoma. Oh, Dylan Gabriel oh. is transferring to God. Oregon. He was considered the number one quarterback in the transfer portal. Oh, great. Can't wait. <laughs> He's going to Oregon. Let's see. Sixth amongst uh, FBS quarterbacks this season with 3,660 passing yards. Number eight in touchdowns with 30. Number 10 in completion percentage. He goes from Oklahoma to Oregon. He's a southpaw, and Oregon is already armed and loaded yeah. for next year's first year in the Big Ten. And people told me, like the Gras, <laughs> told me that yeah. Washington should get whatever quarterback they want. Now, Dylan Gabriel would have looked beautiful. Yeah. In purple and gold with Kalen DeBoer next year. Yep. Maybe not Ryan Grubb because he'll probably go somewhere else. But he would have looked beautiful in purple and gold. So now we'll have to wait to see how Washington responds and what quarterback they get in the portal. Will it be the aforementioned, as you just brought up, Cam Ward from Washington State? Is he coming to Washington? All That's right. what I'm saying. No way he's going to go to his arch rival and go to Why play do you for say Washington? no way? I just, I don't really. As a coog, he's going to go play for. I have Washington. a son, and this is this is total. This is ridiculous. go on. I don't. I mind. have I have a son named Max Levy who is at a senior at the University of Washington who thinks that the reason that they're playing the game next year at Lumen Field, yeah, instead of Pullman, Washington, you know, Pullman would be the next up, sure, in the series. Max's theory is because Cam Ward's going to join Washington, and they didn't want to put him in a position to have to go to Pullman and play the Apple Cup in Pullman against the Cougars. And then so they're putting it in Lumen Field for Cam Ward. When was it decided that it was going to be in Lumen Field? How long ago? I'm just telling you what Max Levy said. <laughs> if he's right, he says, he's Dad, I have a theory. That would be awesome. I have a theory. Cam Ward's coming to Washington, and they didn't want the uncomfortable reunion yeah. of him going to Pullman in a Washington uniform, so they're playing the game at Lumen Field. That's Max Levy. I mean, that's a senior at Washington. That's a, that's his perspective. That's what you paid for for four that's years. That's what I got. <laughs> okay. That's what I got out of wow. my Wow. All right. <laughs> 200 grand. Right. Um, oh, let's do this. In August, you know Masters champion John Rahm? Ooh, saw this. Yeah. In August, can I can I read you a quote Please. from August? Quote, I laugh when people rumor me with LIV golf. Uh-oh. Careful. Phil respects my decision, Phil Mickelson, and I respect his choice. In fact, Mickelson told me that I have no reason to ever go play for Liv, and he has told me that multiple times. That's John Rahm's quote in August, yeah. who this past week accepted a $550 million <laughs> invitation to join Liv Golf. That money is just... It's incredible. It's incredible. I mean, did he... I mean, I know he's a very, very... One of the best golfers in the world. He never in a million years thought he'd be making... $550 million. That's before even teeing it up. He gets to win all the prize money that he wins. And that Fakakta Gosh. shotgun starts. 
team golf, whatever the hell it is. John Rahm joins Live Golf. How about the Sean McDermott news, the coach of the Bills? Yeah, I saw that. He just entered his Mia Culpa. This is, this is going back years now, right? Yeah, 2019 at the training at Bill's training camp in 2019, where yeah. he, he told media members he's very sorry for bringing up the 9-11 attacks in a motivational speech. What the? By the way, I, I know he's not in Manhattan, Buffalo, but you're in the same state. Like, really? You thought you thought that was the move? That's your example of how to communicate with each other to come up with a perfect plan was the 9-11 attacks? McDermott is said to have used the hijackers as an example of individuals who were able to communicate and work successfully together to carry out a plan. And they were revealed for the first time on Thursday. He told reporters that his intention at the time was, quote, to discuss the importance of communication and being on the same page with your team. Yeah, we get it, McDermott. We get it. We know what you're trying to do. Try to come up with another example if you can off the top of your head there, fella. Rough. At some point, you'd think. I will say. Probably not the best idea. You'd think, yes. In that state, particularly. Didn't make it. Didn't make it. I mean, come on. I mean, I I will say at least he came out and admitted it. He didn't deny it. Yeah. He he said, I did it. And it was probably responsibility, accountability. uh, Just a a tad tone deaf there. Yeah. The legendary and decades long partnership between professional golfer Tiger Woods and who is rumored to be. Ending this week. Nike? Correct. Really? When you think of Nike and, and partnerships, you think of Michael Jordan one. Yeah. I would say Tiger Woods is two. Fair. Don't yeah. you think? Michael Jordan, Tiger Woods. Yeah. The swoosh has been believed to have paid Woods hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars over the years since he was 20 years old. He has been wearing foot joy shoes instead of Nike since his accident, since his collision. Uh, several years ago in Los Angeles, and they're saying that you might be seeing the swoosh on his head, on his hat, for the last time this week at that father-son PNC championship in Florida. Just because he's not active and playing and all that? I mean, Well, it might be that. It may be that he appears to prefer other lines of... Uh, shoes okay. and, and gear and I don't uh, know how Michael Jordan continues to sell shoes. Every effing high school kid out there has a pair of Jordans. The Jordan ones are hey, when was the last time he shot a basket in an NBA game? 20 years? I don't know. 25 years? Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. He just keeps printing effing money. And I sort of thought Tiger could do that if he wanted to. Yeah. If he wanted to keep going, he could probably be the same as sure could. far as golf goes. Sure but could. yeah, guess he doesn't care. It looks like it's over. Wow. Interesting. All right. So greatness and athleticism are in Brock Lesnar's blood. You know the name Brock Lesnar? Have you, can you a picture wrestler, him? Maybe? He was a wrestler. Iowa? No. Both. I mean, he was a wrestler in college. He was like the Division One champion. Okay. But then he went to the WWE. He also oh. tried UFC. He looks like a guy no one could beat in a fight on this planet. I mean, he's just big and he's just ridiculous looking. Right. Well, apparently it, it runs in the blood because his daughter just made history at Colorado State with a school record-breaking 18.5-meter shot put. His daughter's breaking shot. Have you seen her? You, you got to see this kid. It, it's like somebody put a long blonde wig on Brock Lesnar. <laughs> I mean, she is just, she looks like a bouncer at a freaking club. Really? Enormous. Oh, yes. my God. I mean, but yeah, now she's breaking records in track and field oh in Colorado. God. Her name's Maya. She's a junior on the CSU track team and launched the nine-pound ball during a meet over the weekend, and the historic moment was captured on video. Unbelievable. Not clear if she's going to enter pro wrestling at some point, but she looks like she probably could. Happy birthday to the world-famous Hollywood sign, which has officially stood oh. tall 
for a hundred years. Why was the Hollywood sign put up, Mitch? Come on, give me give me a little history on it. I have no idea. Though I think my wife and my kids have hiked near the Hollywood sign. Yeah, you go up there on a hike. Is that Runyon Canyon? Maybe I don't know or? what it is. I didn't go. So the the SoCal icon first lit up the hills on December eighth, nineteen twenty three. Originally displaying the word Hollywood Land, yeah. built by L.A. Times publisher Harry Chandler for twenty one thousand dollars, which seems like a steal at this point, right? As a larger than life billboard for his real estate development company. So mm. the original letters were mm. thirty feet wide. 43 feet tall and yeah 100 years old the hollywood sign so happy birthday to them the dallas stars goalie andre vasilevsky am i saying that correctly uh, i don't you're asking forgot who i'm guy. asking yeah, no shit. yeah the post-game interview was interrupted by an enormous fart oh geez the hilarious to sequence you. was captured on video leave with it a, to you the 29 year old russian was asked in the locker room about bouncing back from an 8-1 loss to the same team two days prior he started to give his earnest response to the inquiry Thanks. but as he paused to collect his thoughts, one of his teammates, I'm assuming, one squeaked go. one out and everybody heard it. And everybody laughed. Naturally, he couldn't help but giggle over the whole thing. And all the reporters joined in on the laugh. And he says, uh, what was the question? I mean, <laughs> completely threw him off, but it was pretty funny. The video's out there if you'd like to see it. All right, let me run through a few. Number one offensive lineman recruit in the nation on Thursday. Committed to play for whom? Washington. Deion Sanders and the Colorado God Buffaloes. <laughs> Jordan Seaton, an offensive tackle from IMG Academy in Florida, announces commitment on Fox. The new book, Outrageous, A History of Showbiz and the Culture Wars, is out. And it says that Family Feud contestants, when Richard Dawson was the host. I got it. They used to have to make them take herpes tests. Herpes tests. That's I th- right. I thought it was to protect them from him. No. It was the other way around. Yes. God. Author Cliff Nesteroff penned that the iconic trivia show endorsed the new policy and had both male and female contestants undergo a mouth test with a magnifying glass from medical staff before they were allowed on the show. Nesteroff writes great books, by the way. He'd be a great guest. Something to think about. about. Oh, really? He's the comedy expert. Oh, I'll have him on. He's the comedy historian on the the planet. He's incredible. Sad to see uh, Triple X root beer close. Oh, in Issaquah? Yeah. Yeah, that was weird. It's like. Did you ever go? I grew up in Issaquah. You I know, me? but did you really ever go? As a, Well, so it's right by Virginia Mason Medical Center. Yeah. So when Piper was like really small and she had to go get a shot. Yeah. Our deal was if you don't cry and you're good, we'll go to Triple X after and get like a milkshake or really? some kind of treat. So yeah. that, that was our go-to spot for treats. Yeah, it's gone. Treats. Yeah, it's really sad. I don't know. It's a bummer. Yeah. It got sold and then closed down. The Issaquah restaurant also lays claim to the largest lighted plexiglass sign on the West Coast. Did you know that? I didn't, but it is enormous. The first triple X root beer location opened in Renton, Washington in 1930. The Issaquah location, originally housed on Sunset Way, moved to its current location in 1968. Mike Tyson's lawyer. Remember the Mike Tyson video of him on the plane and he was being... uh, tormented by the guy behind him and oh, then he yeah. reached over and started pounding him remember that remember <laughs> yeah, that course, video yeah. well that guy wants four hundred fifty thousand yeah. dollars. of course he does who doesn't yeah the lawyer for mike tyson says um no no we're not, not paying the guy any- take us to court we're not going through the shakedown of four hundred fifty thousand dollars. first of all mike doesn't have it but second of all <laughs> we're not getting shaken down by anybody <laughs> Congratulations in order uh, to NBA veteran Terrence Ross, who officially announced his retirement. Did you see him when he came to the University of Washington playing 11 years in the NBA? No, I did not. Remember, he was from Portland, and they thought that they had the other Terrence who said yes to Washington. He was coming with Ross. 
Yeah. And then he changed to Calipari in Kentucky. Terrence. Williams or? Um, yeah, Terrence Williams. Uh, Terrence Williams. Yeah, it might have been Terrence Williams. That's right. I forgot. Was he? Did he go to Garfield? No. Oh, these, guys are, these guys were from Portland. And they were supposed to come to Washington together. Okay, because Calipari stole the other, another guy from Garfield. And the <laughs> other guy was supposed to be the better of the two. Okay, gotcha. And the two of them were coming. And then after they announced the other one, I think you're right, it might be Terrence Williams, he got a call from Calipari and he swapped. And he went to Kentucky. And Ross is the guy that ends up playing 11 years in the NBA. I Karma. remember when Terrence, a bitch. when Terrence Ross came out early. I think he came out early. Yeah, sure he did. Yeah. I remember thinking, oh, what a mistake. He won the slam dunk contest in 2013. Did you know that? No, I did not. Yes, Terrence Ross is the owner of an NBA slam dunk contest. He played for the Raptors, Magic, and the Suns. Felicity Huffman broke her silence about the college admission scandal. Did you read it? I had to steal from Four my daughter. Four years later. <laughs> I had to break the law for my daughter. There you go. Yes. That's what she said. She felt like she would be yeah. a bad mother if she didn't hire Rick Singer and his, uh, his group to uh, falsify her SAT scores. She paid $15,000 to do it. They inflated the daughter's SAT scores by 400 points. And she <laughs> ended amazing up... amazing that you can do that. She ended up in, uh, in jail. Uh, RIPs, do you want to do any other stories before we get to the RIPs? Have you seen the latest power couple from 1998? No. Kevin Costner and Jewel. Could you picture Jewel? Yeah. Can I picture Jewel? Come on. Does she still have the tooth? I don't or did think she, she ever fixed? got it fixed. I think she still has no, it. No, I think she got it fixed. You think so? I think so. I thought it was like Streisand with, the, with the nose. And, you know, you, you don't want to get it fixed. Don't compare anything to the Streisand <laughs> nose. It's like you got to keep it, though. Bob Costas. Go so ahead. So the, the two flew to the Caribbean together and hung out a lot for more than a week. As one source put it, there was definitely something going on. They were flirty. And when they were together, it was like they both just lit up. They also flew back together so Aww. we'll see kevin costner and jewel not a bad catch not the worst combo in the world huh i, mean, I, think I like her I, and she posted pictures recently she just looks the same she She's does pretty and her. yeah i love yeah. her too talented yeah, and yeah, yeah yeah brenda lee you know brenda lee no i don't know brenda the lee. singer finally no. has a number one hit on her hands and i don't it's know who the brenda ho- lee is it's the holiday classic she cranked out more than six decades ago oh Rocking around the Christmas tree, have a happy holiday. Yeah, finally topped a major. Is she around? All these She's she- not around. Still around, and there's video of her on an airplane with the the, the PA getting every. She's singing her song really? into the PA for, her. for the whole airplane to Good enjoy. Mariah Carey would have never done that with her song. No, but coincidentally, Mariah Carey, you mentioned, sent Brenda Lee roses or sent her flowers yeah. to congratulate her she, on the number somebody one Somebody from hit. her team did. Uh, <laughs> that's probably true. I want to yes. know, does Mariah, every time that song, what's that song that she did that, that's on all the time yeah. in the season? Uh, all it? I Want for Christmas. Dun, right. dun, 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 does she get paid every time it goes on? How does that work? Yeah, it's not much, though. You talk about, like, on the streaming services or on the radio? I mean, it's on all the time. Yeah. I mean, I... You could hear it every single day, 10 times a day. Is she getting... How is she getting paid? Yeah, she gets paid. The streaming services pay her for every... All right, some RIPs. You said you have eight. Go through them, and if you don't... I don't know if it's eight, but I got a bunch. Okay, well, go through them and do them fast, and if you don't get to some that I did, then I'll... You probably have Ryan O'Neal. I do. Love story in Peyton Place. He passed away. yep. It's not clear how he died, but he's had his share of health problems throughout the years he was married to the poster as we will call her farah fawcett they were together for a long time then they eventually split up but then when she got sick in 19 they rekindled and right. he was with her till the end and right. tatum's dad as well if you remember tatum oh, do i remember tatum o'neill 
little bit of a crush during Bad oh. News Bears. Oh. I know. How cute was she? She on With the, a fastball. She on the side of the road <laughs> with oh. Walter Matthau. And the maps. Oh, I know. Forget it. So oh, cute. Back God. in the day, I had such a crush oh, on her. But God. He a was painful crush. I know. She was so cute. Yeah, I think I may have gone looking for her in L.A. one year. <laughs> he probably did. I would, too. But he he was oh, pretty God. prodigious with the ladies. Who, Walter Matthau? Yes, he was. <laughs> Ryan O'Neill, Bianca Jagger, Jacqueline Bissett, Joan Collins, Diana Ross, and Barbara Streisand. Wow, Ryan O'Neill. Can't go a podcast without talking about Barbara Streisand. He was 82 years old. Uh, this know. one's kind of sad. You may not know the name, but Forrest Whitaker's ex-wife, Keisha Whitaker. Okay. Had, they have three daughters together. She passed away. And one of her daughters wrote one of the most sweet things ever. And if you don't mind, I'd like to read it. It, it kind of touched me. Okay. And I don't get touched easy. Goodbye, mommy. I love you forever and beyond. The most beautiful woman in the world. Thank you for teaching me every single, every single thing I know. I'll see you in my dreams and I'll feel you in my heart. Yeah, 51. Very, nice. very sweet, huh? Very nice. Yeah. So they had three daughters together. Yeah. Uh, Lionel Dahmer who did a hell of a job fathering his son. Oh, geez. Jeffrey Dahmer okay. has passed away at yeah. the age of 87. Frank Wycheck. Yeah. You probably have that Saturday. one, right? Saturday. He was at Maryland when I was in D.C., working in D.C. A 52-year-old former tight end of the Titans, went to the University of Maryland, died in his Chattanooga, Tennessee home. He had caught 482 passes for 4,958 yards, 27 touchdowns. His 482 receptions, by the way, ranks third in franchise history he was in the pro bowl three times i guess he fell and hit his head oh and they didn't find him till hours later terrible over the weekend awful terrible. how yeah. old 52 52 years old i think he was at maryland when i was in dc i think i've spoken to frank wycheck i was trying to remember that can we talk about the music city miracle oh sure he was the one who threw the ball yeah lorenzo neal took the kickoff and yeah. then i think Maybe he handed he it to wycheck yeah. and then wycheck threw it across, across the, field, the field yeah, yeah which yeah, I, yeah. I still think was a forward pass but okay. it's been a stirring tribute to, them, okay. to the man poor guy let I him have his guy. moment howard stern fans will know the name ralph sorella yep wow. the hairstylist yeah he turned into howard's stylist stylist picked out his clothes did all that okay one of the all-time if you've ever listened to the show great shit talkers and pot stirrers in the history of radio I mean, he pissed everyone off that he came into contact with. He was so good on the air. So okay. Ralph passed away at 58. That was okay. a really sad one. Did you guys talk about Henry Kissinger? We did not do Who I didn't RIPs know was alive. Week. We did not do RIPs last week. Oh, my. I remember being a kid going to the doctor, like six years old. We'd go into this underpass in, in Mercer Island. It said, impeach Kissinger. I didn't know what it meant at the time. <laughs> I was a kid. He's still alive. I yeah. couldn't believe he was still alive. But yeah. he was an American diplomat, political scientist, you know, the whole thing. He was pretty uh uh when you divide people he was very polarized that's the word i'm looking for yeah so henry kissinger passed away norman lear norman lear that's 101 years old right Ooh, yeah you see how he went no his uh, son-in-law said the family was gathered around his bed as he passed away and we were singing him the songs from his classic mm. show because we knew he was very comfortable, resting peacefully, and that's what he would have wanted. So we were singing All in the Family, Maud, Good Times, Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman, the Jeffersons, all that stuff. All the uh, all the theme songs they were singing to him. That's very as sweet. As he passed away. A yeah. prodigious TV guy. Oh, my God. You know, he, he Sanford and Son, you know, I think he said Good Times, different strokes. Yeah. He, he had this bizarre... All in the Family, though, will always be the one. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's, that's like... That's the one. That, and, a couple of those were spinoffs from All in the Family. Correct. How Jeffersons powerful. was, yeah. Maude. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah, Wasn't yeah. Maude a spinoff uh, of that? It might have been. Or a spinoff of the Jeffersons, maybe. Or might anyway. Might have been. But he had this bizarre relationship with his mother. I don't know if you've ever heard any interviews with him or read anything about yeah. him, where his mom just 
was never impressed. Never, never said, really? never said good job. Never uh. said like he would have these huge parties. He was you know, huge. And yeah. all these celebrities would be at his house. His mom's like, what, what are all the, what's Frank Sinatra doing here? Like, what are all these people doing? Or just constantly like yeah. not into his life. Not just. That's a shame. I, he, I heard him talking, you know, he was probably in his nineties and it's still, still can't get over the fact that his mom just yeah. never said good That's job to him. So anyway, interesting guy, Norman Lear. That's my last one. How about some headlines there, Hotshot Scott? Indiana police find a gun and drugs hidden in a man's rectum. Hey, it's not all bad. At least he'll be prepared for what prison brings. A Brazilian influencer filmed herself ripping an epic fart in an elevator. We're back to farts. And footage of it has amassed over 8 million views on TikTok. Farting in an elevator, as we know, is wrong on so many levels. Did you feel like you had to do that with your hand? I for had me to, to get the make joke? sure you got it. Yeah, no, I, I don't got know. The okay. The Tulare County. Do the I feel like I needed to oh, sometimes. Yeah. The Tulare County District Attorney's Office announced this week that a 17-year-old is the youngest person ever to pass the bar exam. A 17-year-old. His name is Peter Park, or his friends call him Narc. The DNA Ancestry Company 23andMe says it's been majorly compromised after hackers busted into their system a couple months ago and accessed about half of the user's base and accessed about half of their user base's very private data. So just so I'm clear, I do or don't have three kids I've never met. And finally, Reverend <laughs> Anna Akiva, a 36-year-old former model, is returning to her roots with an OnlyFans page and claims this makes her feel closer to God than ever. And after seeing her pictures online, it's clear that her cups runneth over. <laughs> Thank you so much. Hey, have you done that uh, 23andMe thing, that the DNA ancestry, have you? No. Because giving your DNA to the internet doesn't sound like a great idea? No, I know. I mean, I, my sister bought me one. Yeah. And, I, and she's like bummed out that I haven't used it. I was like, just tell me what yours says. We have the same parents. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't want to do that. Christ! I'm going to have like a, a 50% uh, match in Portland or something I don't want to know about. Ladies and gentlemen, we tried, but... Uh, we, oh, you, we did? Yeah. We, oh, I didn't know that. We, we tried our best. Okay. He went to San Diego. I thought he'd come back without the fart jokes, and he just can't... I he missed tra- them He travels with them. He travels with them. <laughs> I was at the game writing a fart jokes. On all levels, ladies That's and right. gentlemen. That's Episode right. 266 <laughs> is in the books.